Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 84, The Dance, Yield or Burn. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey guys, in this episode we are smack dab in the middle of Westeros' most violent civil war, The Dance of the Dragons. Our last episode covered the beginnings of the war, everything leading up, and now here our coverage continues as the body count rises significantly. So if you're following along with us, flip to pages 449 uh, to 506 of Fire and Blood, and we are also, uh, this material is also covered in the novella The Princess and the Queen. So if you're reading along in that novella, you'll find stuff there as well. So, um, Scad, what are we doing here? Yeah, that, that you mentioned the rising body count. The average yeah. weight of the body count also going way up. We'll get into that <laughs> a little bit too. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so what we're doing here, um, we're, we're a bit completionists uh, over here at Davos Fingers. And when we started looking at what we were going to do next after Dunkin' Egg, we thought, let's go back and get those novellas. And actually, neither of us had ever read them, uh, I think. And so we went out, went back and grabbed them. Fire and Blood came out kind of right around that same time. And we realized as we were getting through The Princess and the Queen that Fire and Blood covers it just in so much more detail. So we read both, you know, and we decided, you know, let's just cover Fire and Blood, cover this event of the dance in its completion, rather than circling back and having to get details of the princess and the queen misses. So that's what we're doing here. And so uh, it's been enough content to power the last episode, this one, and one more. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, it's, been, it's been fun. I've, I've really enjoyed covering this stuff. Yeah, it's been quite Super the ride. Dense. Very dense. Oh, quite. Yeah. Quite. We were going to just try to do two episodes. <laughs> Dude, thank you for talking me out of that. <laughs> and... Oh, that was just a lot for it was going to be for this guy to chew on. It was going to be 85 pages each basically, I think in Fire and Blood. And now we're doing like around 60 and it's still almost too much. It feels like a lot. Yeah. But like you said, tons of fun and that's what yeah, makes yeah. it worth it. So. Loads. All right. Yep. So, uh we're in a bit of a busy season, aren't we, Scad? We are totally um, in a busy season. You might be able to tell I'm, my voice is screwed. <laughs> we're just having fun not only is it springtime bring on the allergies and crap but uh we've got ice and fire con later this week by the time some of you are hearing this episode uh the the con will be over most of you. done with probably yeah yeah for definitely for our early access patons uh, you might hear it well you'll probably be partying at the con with us <laughs> hopefully if you're there. a number of you so, are there yeah partying with us yeah yeah uh, but yes, we do have Ice and Fire Con this week. Tickets are already gone, so I don't even know why we're announcing this because, sorry. Yeah, you missed it. If, you don't if you're not there, already. you missed it. It was but fun. Catch it next year. Yeah, yeah. it was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> we had such a great time. Remember that panel we conducted earlier today? <laughs> right? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, but... We have had some fun. We had a Song of Madness wrapping up. We talked a little bit about that last episode, and now it's it's over and done with. It's been put to bed, right, Scatty? It has, yeah. It's uh, basically three weeks ago. Um, it ended. It f- feels like it hasn't been that long. Uh, but Arya came out victorious again in what was the craziest comeback I think we've ever seen. That was uh, nuts, dude. In a Song of Madness. And it was slow is what was funny about it. I mean, it was... 
just you percentage, know, a point, a point percentage, by percentage. Yeah, every couple yeah. hours he'd gain a point. And it was just Davos couldn't couldn't grasp it. Get it? Get it? Get it? Uh, because finger nubs. Because because nubs. Yeah, on the on the fingeros. So uh, yeah, it was it was a great time. That song of madness. Uh, I had a great time talking with uh, with Dent, as I call him, on Blood of the Podcast. Check that out if you haven't. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking to him. Just man, Matt. I realized after talking to him, it's been a while since we talked Song of Ice and Fire. Because Isn't that when weird? I, yeah, it's, it was a little weird. Like these characters, they they feel they feel different in my mouth now. Gross. Mm-hmm. And, and but it was it was great. It almost I'm like, should I read Game of Thrones again? Made me made me want. I'm to. Telling you, that's what we can do while we're waiting for wins. <laughs> we'll just start over. <laughs> Let us know what you think of that idea, don't, guys. Don't tempt me, man. <laughs> we got to do so something. Rich. Yeah, we got to yeah. do something. Uh, yes. So that and was Avengers coming too for our last announcement. You excited for that? Oh, I'm so excited. We're both into the Marvel stuff, but I think you're. I think you're at least a peg above me. You think? This. I think so. I, think I have I... gotten. See, you've got the history with Marvel. I do. You've and, got the history. Yeah. I. I don't. I. I dabbled in comic books as a kid, but but not to the degree that you did. But yeah, I've but really I, gotten into the MCU stuff. But yeah, well, that's the thing. I didn't. I don't have much history at all with Avengers. Right. Most of my Avengers mm-hmm. stuff is yeah. crossover X Men stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and through my sister and stuff, I've learned other things. But you know, most of my history was with X Men specifically, and so. But but I feel you know what part of it is, uh, you know. Your wife Padme is really into them too, which helps. Aowen's into it, but I don't think as as much as as Padme. No, Padme's a, a, she's ridiculous with that kind of stuff. She's she bought a freak. she bought you all the movies, didn't she? Like she went out and well, like finished your complete your your collection. Bought them for me, yeah, yeah, for yeah for <laughs> you quotes, yeah, yeah. Look what I got you, sweetheart. Look, Watch I'll take them. as many of those gifts as. As Aowen wants to give me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. We do. Yeah, we've got the entire collection of of all. Yeah, every single one of them. And um, pretty proud. Pretty proud of those little babies. Yeah, I'm missing several. Um, I think I have seen them all, but I don't own them all. Mm-hmm. We just completed it. The only one we didn't have was the Hulk. Well, that does and... that even is that even in MCU technically? They count it. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah, but uh, oh, it's the uh, earlier one that they don't. Right. The incredible the, Hulk, with, the one um, with what's the, the guy's three hundred guy, not three hundred guy. Uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, Eric this Bana. is Edward... Eric Bana. Yes, this yeah. is uh, Edward Norton. Hulk. Dude, I love Edward Norton. He <laughs> and he, you know what? He's we watched it just the other day. The reason we bought it is because. She was like, "We still haven't seen Hulk. We need to do it." And so we just bought the digital version. And uh, he's great in that movie. He's great in all his movies, but he's great in that one too. Yeah, yeah, he's brilliant. I I remember seeing Primal Fear when it came out, which was I think it was his first. <laughs> Listen to us go. <laughs> we should get to How the far podcast. Into this are we? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Primal Fear, guys, if you haven't seen it, look it up because it's amazing. It is his debut film, and 
I, you'd be hard pressed to look for a better performance from somebody in their first film. It was it's amazing. But uh, anyway, a quick plug. Uh, today's April twenty second, and uh, so a couple days ago was four twenty. Yes, it so was. That's right. Did a song of ice and fire four twenty on Twitter hashtag, and uh, always a fun time of year. Yeah, I was afraid Tor- reception might not might not do as well being on the weekend, but it seemed like yeah. we had you had a ton of participation, especially on Easter weekend. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, Tormund Giantsbane got got the votes this year for person that people would most like to get high with. So Dolores I mean, said was wasn't far behind, as was Oberyn Martell, Braun, Olena, Tyrion, all got up there. Here's what I'll say about the Tormund selection. I feel like I feel like people think you can toke up with him and get some good stories. But the mm-hmm. thing with Tormund is you don't need to toke up with him to get the good stories. He'll just do it. He'll just do it anyway. Yeah. So, I was thinking that too. Like, yeah, you could get high with any of these people and it might be fun. But who are the guys that like, like Stannis? You you're going to see a different side. Yeah. You'd see that different side of him. Or like maybe Sam gets uber confident or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where where you think you might see a different side? Yeah, I agree with you. Not uh, not the Tormund's a bad choice. Hey, These seem not like at a all. solid dude. Victorion, I'd love to see that guy baked. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> you! I think you and I feel differently about Victorion. <laughs> all I want of Victorion is get him out of my book forever. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, should we Let's move see. on? Yes, please. All right. As as we've discussed, uh, we're tackling a little bit kind of different material than what you're used to, maybe, or maybe you've grown used to it by now. There is no Davos after dark. We're covering the history here. Pretty much everything's on the table. We're going to make comparisons wherever we feel like it. So be ready for spoilers. It's all on the table. So be ready. As always, this is the same. We love hearing from you guys. So if you want to contact us for any reason, we, of course, want to hear from you. Find us at DavosFingers.com. Our email address is WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at DavosFingers. We're on Facebook. And you can learn more about our Patreon program along with all its benefits at Patreon.com slash DavosFingers. That's right. And speaking of Patreon, we're going to do a shout out here to our uh, our different supporters here. At the Dirty Cab Driver level, we have Jacob Jacob M. Lady Fattis Red. Jeff H. Archmaster June, healer of the lesser poxes. Jeremy L. Jamie K. Donorus. Sarah from Texas. Colin U. Sir Stormtheus Snow, the Bastard Storm. Alexander G. Gib or Jib. Gene. Ghost Chase Killer. The Bard of Legends, Aaron M. And our newest patron, Kat Spearborn. That's right. And at our Reach Around level, we have B Word, the Queen Beyond the Wall. And Josh C., Warden of the Reach Around. Hang in there, buddy. Hang in there, Josh. Uh, we've also got Team John level. We have Strong Belwas Spinoff, my favorite nickname. Of and as it is, of course it is. <laughs> and uh, as always, Misa, the Queen of Gifts and Beauty. Thank you, all of you patrons, for your support. We appreciate it very much. Yes, Let's indeed. Let's get to the content. Stop jerking okay. these poor people around. Yes, uh, so... Uh, I thought that before we jumped into this content, I'd give us a little Star Wars crawl to to catch us up, just in case someone missed last episode. Um, read quickly. <laughs> or you fall behind and you can't read them anymore. 
and then then it's gone. It's too gone. far up there. Yeah. The words are too squished all together. Right. It's just impossible to read. Which some people might um, argue was the plot of the last film. Yeah, he said it. <laughs> well, there it is. Stop it, you. <laughs> uh, this this is not a written out Star Wars crawl. Um, but anyways, the Targaryen struggle for power is in full swing. We've got King Aegon II along with his supporters called the Green. He sits the Iron Throne in King's Landing. But then you've got Queen Rhaenyra, Aegon's older half-sister, based out of Dragonstone with her supporters, the Blacks. So the Blacks versus the Greens. There's no clear-cut good guys in this one, my friends. Both sides have committed atrocities, and the realm Westeros is fracturing. Um, And whereas the opening of the dance occurred kind of stealthily behind closed doors, meetings and stuff like that, Open warfare has now erupted, both sides winning victories. I mean, the Blacks uh, won a victory at a terrible cost at the Battle of the Gullet. And at the end of our last episode, the Greens scored a victory in the Reach. Again, also at a terrible cost. Men are dying. Dragons are dying. Specifically, Rhaenyra's son, Jace, perished with his dragon, Vermax, at the Gullet. And Aegon's... uh, younger brother acquitted himself well with his dragon Tessarion in the reach. So as the war rages on, um, Rhaenyra mourns the loss of two of her sons and Aegon II lies wounded to the point of death. His younger brother Amond reigns and commands in his stead. The blacks have double the dragons of the greens, but they don't hold the iron throne. So the question is, how much more will Westeros suffer? Uh, spoiler alert, a lot a more. A lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into this, Scad. Uh, anything you want to add to the to the catch-up summary? Well, just one thing that I don't remember if we talked about much. It's interesting that Aemond has taken kind of control of the of the helm. You know, a lot of the time in, in other history and stuff that we've read in this world... You know, they have other kind of... The hand will take over, right? Or, you know, in this case, maybe the regent or something. But in this case, they actually, like, crowned his brother temporarily. It's a little weird. Yeah, temp crown. Yeah. Temp crown. And Amon's kind of one of those guys that's like, were you going to tell him no? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) It feels that way. And yet... He's got the biggest dragon in all of Westeros and a little couple screws loose, so... A couple, but you, enough in place that, know. like, he doesn't seem like he's trying to usurp. He's just like, yeah, give it to me. It's my turn. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I'll give it back, of course. I don't but give it to me now, for sure. Right. Kind of a weird yeah. dude, this Amon. We'll get into that, I'm sure. He is a strange fella. Let's talk about the fall of King's Landing. Um, quote to set us up. Broken by the loss of one son, Rhaenyra Targaryen seemed to find new strength after the loss of a second. Jace's death hardened her, burning away her fears, leaving only her anger and her hatred. Yeah. She's ready to go on the offensive, right? I feel like that's a good preview for the whole episode, maybe. Yeah. Kind of, yep. So, we should have mentioned that we've got Daemon Targaryen hanging out at Heron Hall. He's established a base there, kind of a base of operations where they can strike out in the Riverlands and even there and, and score some victories there. So Amond figures he's got to get uncle, uncle Damon out of there. Right. 
So he plans an attack on Harrenhal. He summons the Lannisters from the west to travel out to, to marshal all their troops and travel to Harrenhal, while Amond, along with Kristen Cole, travels from the east, and they're going to converge upon Harrenhal and take it over, right? Um, Daemon finds out about this because he's got spies in King's Landing. So he sends a host out to meet the Lannisters who are coming from the west, and uh, they kind of do a pretty good job of holding off the Lannister forces, at least for a while, and then um, he heads out to go attack King's Landing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's kind of like, um, you know, is so Amond is kind of a, well, he's young. He doesn't, he's not battle-hardened like Damon, and... You know, I think he. I think he looks at this pretty simplistically. Damon is the biggest threat. I've got the biggest dragon. Let's go get him, right? Let's let's end this thing. Like, let's be very direct about this. And I actually agree with that focus on Damon. I don't necessarily disagree with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. The problem is that Damon knows what the hell he's doing, right? And he's literally been waiting for this moment the, since the beginning of the war. He's been waiting for Amon to leave, right? And and has almost like used Heron Hall as bait, right? And so yeah, I mean I think I think it's unfortunate for Amon that his aggressive plan, which isn't bad necessarily, you know, kind of bites him in the ass because it's exactly what Damon wants him to do. Right. He <laughs> it's one thing to leave King's Landing, it's another to leave King's Landing and take everybody with you <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh and that's what he does here and and you know damon's not a pawn on a on a big battle map or something he he's got his own balls in the air and it's, and apparently he's got spies in king's landing finds out about this and seizes the opportunity <clears throat> his balls are literally in the air on his dragon <laughs> dragons have balls uh, I'm just wondering. Know, I'd say it depends. If you ask Septon Barth, it would, it he would says, be maybe. Yeah, they can change <laughs> sex at will. Yeah, which, well, let's not get into all that. They just retract. Yeah, I don't know. That's exactly what I was trying to avoid. The word retract, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Thank you for going there. Well, here we go. <laughs> Speaking of balls, yeah. you might say Rhaenyra... She, she, no, I don't want to say she goes out and grows a pair, because women don't have to have balls to be brave, right? They don't, uh, you know, symbolically or it's a phrase, metaphorically, yeah, it's a phrase, sure, right, sure. She's all about this attack on King's Landing. So, Damon and Rhaenyra, Damon coming from Harrenhal, Rhaenyra actually like straps on some armor and leaves Dragonstone. Yeah. Surprise of the war so far? Maybe. Yeah, she, of course. she looks the part for sure, and she's, I guess she, you know, with Amon gone, she feels like it's safe. So of course <laughs> right. she goes. Like, she, yeah, I'll go to King's Landing as long as no one is there to protect it. So. Yeah. Uh, Rainier and Damon meet over King's Landing, of course, seeing these two fierce dragons in the sky, just, just 
rains fear down upon the people of King's Landing, and there's really not much of a battle or anything. They, the uh, Rhaenyra, Damon, and the rest of the Blacks take King's Landing in less than a day with very little resistance. Um, as we mentioned, Damon had spies on the inside. His biggest supporters on the inside were his his old friends, the the Gold Cloaks, right? Yeah. The 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 law enforcement arm of of the of King's Landing. So they obviously help from the inside in terms of getting rid of any you know really uh, powerful green supporters and. Uh, Rainier basically just has to walk into King's Landing at that point. Yeah, he's got uh, Hercules Mulligan sewing some gold cloaks. Um, that, George has a brilliant line in there. Um, when when the gold cloaks are accused of turning cloak, he the leader says, uh, these cloaks are gold no matter which way you turn them. Which is just, right. that's amazing. I love it. Like, you don't get POVs in these books, but you get little snippets of dialogue that are enough to just feed the beast. I love that was that's a brilliant turn of phrase from George. I love it. Yeah, you're so right about the POV thing, and it just is crazy to me how he can write all of those different characters and give them personalities with snippets of dialogue, but yeah. also just explaining their actions and what they do, and you get this idea for their personality just from that, and uh, it's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Pretty brilliant. Right. And not only the character, but it gives you a sense of the tone of the whole order of the gold cloaks. They're entirely in Damon's pocket. Yep. Like, and have been since he founded them, basically, or, or you know, gave them the cloaks and led them. Luthor Largent. Luthor Largent. Commands yeah. the gold, clo- gold I cloaks. I almost guessed, but I didn't. I should have. That he was. He'd be a Damon man? Yes. A day man, day, day, daemon, daemon, ruler of the night man. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Anyways, oh, oh yes, yes. <clears throat> um, they had second in command was a high tower, right? Yeah, Gwen High Tower, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, cousin or something. They got rid of him right quick, as you do as during you do. these things. Those high towers, you know, they've been placed all over the place uh, in the city by by Otto. Somebody should do a panel about those guys. Huh. Imagine that. Yeah. You did, actually. I did, by the time most of you were hearing this. See how it, <laughs> we'll see how it went. Right. So Rhaenyra and Damon and the and the Blacks basically waltz into the city, like we said, um, and there they meet up with Alicent Hightower and kind of the rest of the the royal family who's still there, which at this time is basically Queen Helena, who isn't doing much. She's shut up in her bedroom, a shell of a person, as we described in the last episode. You've got Otto Hightower the hand of the king and some others. Um, Alicent suggests a great council to decide the secession, of course. And Rhaenyra, as you can imagine, rebuffs her. Alicent then warns her, the city is yours, princess, but you will not hold it long. The rats play when the cat is gone, but my son Amond will return with fire and with blood. Scary. <laughs> Kitty. Yeah, you you mentioned Helena. I just want to drop this in real quick. And we've been talking about the spies on the inside. 
you know, they didn't just open gates and, uh, you know, everything. I, I think they, they were feeding Damon lots of information. Damon knows that, that Aegon isn't even, like, you know, moving. He knows that Helena is a broke Helena is a broken person and can't defend the city with dragons. Like I think he knows all of this stuff. It's key. All this information he's getting from his spies on the inside, um, whomever they may be, there are several. You know, we think we know, but it's key. It's key that he knows all this information. It makes it makes King's Landing a very ripe fruit to pick. Yeah, and he doesn't hesitate. However, someone that he doesn't find in King's Landing is the king, Aegon II, even in his uh, wounded state, manages to escape along with his children, Jehera and Maelor, along with a couple members of the Kingsguard. Also missing is Larys Strong, Larys the Clubfoot, the master of Whisperers. So they weren't able to round everybody up. Yeah, Larys, Shades of Varys, uh, rhymes and everything. Laris Varus, yeah. Uh, just Laris, dis- Laris rhymes disappearing with when the going gets tough, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the Master of Whisters job comes with a guide. How to escape when things are turning. Kind yeah, you thing. get the the old Master of Whisperers takes you on a tour of the tunnels yeah. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. and a little orientation. It's an internship. It's unpaid at first, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, it pays off in the end when you escape with your head and no one else does. <laughs> but... Uh, you think you think Laris was playing both sides? It, he's he's an enigma to me. It, it's uh, uh yeah. I, I, there, there's some more to come. Let's maybe table it for a little bit. But there's certainly interesting stuff going on with him because yeah, let's table it. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot coming up there, but let's not forget to come back to Laris. Yeah, we will not. So the only last thing of note here in this section besides any other notes that we might have but going through the story is that as Rhaenyra takes the actual Iron Throne as she ascends the steps and seats herself on the Iron Throne um, all through the night she makes everyone swear fealty to her basically everyone in the Red Keep Um, most do but as she's finally leaving after this big bow to me session it was conspicuously noted that cuts were seen on her legs and hands and she even trailed drops of blood it is said uh the iron the quote is the iron throne had spurned her and her days upon it would be few so obviously people taking that as a very ominous omen to see uh the her her wounds that she's taking just by sitting upon the iron throne yeah, it's not a good sign. Um, you know, I, it's a symbol to people, right? And George uses this stuff all the time where where these ideas get put into the reader's minds. Um, we'll, we'll get to another one later in the cast, I'm sure. But these ideas that he can just plant in the reader's minds, and also you can see how very easily they get planted in the people who are theirs' minds. There's mm-hmm. there's nothing like watching your king climb down from the throne bleeding on the floor as they walk away. And that, that, that just, especially for people like this that are very superstitious in a time of uncertainty, that sticks with them. And it sticks with us. It's really well done. Shades of yep. Magor as well. I'm not, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. <laughs> 
<laughs> semi-stitious. <laughs> Interstitious. It's like stitious in periodic times. Stitious-ish. <laughs> uh, let's see. What other though that's kind of the chronologically kind of what happens in this in this section of the story. Uh, but we had a few other things that kind of went on too of note. Uh, uh, one being <laughs> Greyjoy gonna Greyjoy, man. Of course. Of uh, course they will. Little Dalton Greyjoy shows up just as the um, Lannister forces are leaving King's Landing to go to Heron Hall at the command of Prince Aemond. Dalton Greyjoy decides that's that's his time to to take sides, and he sacks Lannisport, which um, kind of by default puts him on Daemon's side. Uh, but really, we know the the Greyjoys aren't joining up with the Blacks out of any allegiance to Rhaenyra. Um, they just see this as an opportunity, I think, to to plunder and do their thing. So yeah, yeah, uh, you know, Greyjoys they make. Uh... They make their living out on the water, and they're very much uh, like water, taking osmosis and just filling the void where people aren't. They do it in the north, at you know, in the Song of Ice and Fire. They do it in the south, in the later books of a Song of Ice and Fire, and they're just going where people ain't and robbing them. <laughs> Greyjoy is gonna Greyjoy. That's what you do. That's what you do if you're a Greyjoy. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting was Rook's rest was retaken <clears throat> in our last episode we talked about how the green forces were able to take that after um king aegon actually joined the fight along with prince aemond right and this of course is when we saw the death of rannies well it was retaken again uh, sir wallace mouton or lord wallace mouton led the attack and of note, on the only reason I really would bring this up is to note that Sunfire, who had fallen injured in that last battle, that's King Aegon's dragon, was they went to kill Sunfire, and he ended up killing all of them, basically, including Lord Mouton, and then disappeared. We don't know where he is. In the classic film Dirty Work, uh... Chevy Chase's character says, hindsight is twenty twenty, my friend. And I will use that opportunity to say, you know, Mouton did not handle this well with Sunfire. A hundred men with heavy crossbows would have been able to surround and take this dude out easily, I think. Sunfire. Uh-huh. They didn't handle it well, running in there with spears and swords and stuff. So, not Yeah, not they, well they even mentioned that he, when they found Sunfire, he was sleeping. But because of the commotion they made, they woke him up, and dragon's going to do what a dragon's going to do. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's so he's gone, which is interesting. I mean, it says it says in the text there that he tried to escape three times and crashed back down to the ground. But you know, I guess eventually he made it, right? So right somewhere they mentioned they couldn't find any tracks of him walking off or anything. Yeah. Uh, and couldn't find a corpse, obviously. So, <clears throat> if not one thing, the other. Yeah, yeah. Walks so. like a duck, etc. Mm-hmm. What else you got about this? You want to discuss anything else here? No, not really. Um, 
Good job. I think you covered it well. Okay. Let's get on to some more fun stuff. Some more fun stuff. This, so none of this is really fun. But <laughs> uh, well, it's about to be fun for Amond. He gets his victory. Sure does. Waltzes right into Harrenhal. <laughs> Waltzes right up there. They face almost no resistance. Um, you know, the Westermen are fighting. You know, kind of what I call a bleeding battle, right? Where they're kind of progressing, but the the Riverlanders are kind of bleeding them as they go. Amond and Kristen Cole found none of that probably because they had a huge dragon with them. But, uh, you know, it's so easy. You know, you know, when something's so easy, you're like, this is too easy. It, a little too easy. Yeah, it's almost as if Amon maybe should have been aware. Like, if he was a little less arrogant, maybe he would have felt like, there's something going on here. I've got yeah, no I resistance think at all. When he waltzed into Heron Hall, he... Didn't he basically just say, like, I knew the old guy would run away once yeah. he saw me coming? Yeah, exactly. Didn't leave anyone there. Uh, just ran, I guess. Great. So he uses <clears throat> he uses that as a, an opportunity to eradicate an entire house. A, uh, a, a strong, proud house. How strong. And uh, ironic a bit that Laris probably just saved his brother's life by secreting him out of the Red Keep. Um, yep. And a few days later, Aemond is extinguishing his house. Just basically extinguishes Laris's house. Yep. Yeah, Laris's mm-hmm. house. Minus Alice yeah. Rivers. So, you know, I, I did want to pick a quick bone with, uh, you know, one of the Strongs kind of challenges him and says, no, you know, it's we're we're innocent, we're loyal. And Aemon gives the, if the gods deem you innocent, you know, he gives that whole thing again. And I just want to say, if George wants us to believe this thing, just once, just one time, he needs to have somebody saying that, like, fall on their sword accidentally and lose when someone's innocent. Just, like, keep it level and keep us interested. Because it never happens that way. These innocent people, <laughs> they never get saved. We got to keep it interesting, George. Give us one. Yeah, he could have. He had the perfect opportunity with Vardis Egan, and he blew it. <laughs> yeah, Vardis. R.I.P. Uh, brother. So you know, in exterminating this house, he gets he creates a three foot tall pile of heads of Strongs. So lots of Strongs there. Three foot tall pile of heads. Otto was wrong. Otto had called. Um. You know. Uh, Damon, uh, the new Magor, or said he had the potential to be the new Magor. And uh, looks like Amond is the new Magor. Just butchery. And this I kind of, would agree with that. It kind of speaks to a, what I think will be a theme in this episode of war gone wrong. The, kind of, the stakes kind of keep escalating, and it's there's not a whole lot of rules of war in this one. To the point, yeah, you just can't keep it in check. You're so consumed by vengeance and, yeah. yep. and all this stuff. We even saw it last episode that you're killing kids. And yep. It's just yep. insane. Yep. Insane. Yeah, the, that's a good point. I mean, it's it's not an escalating thing, like I said. They raise the stakes to 11 immediately. Mm-hmm. And then what? you have to keep up with that. And that yeah, you just got to keep doing it. It's like, what oh, next? well, that's the bar. Keep meeting it. You know? Yeah. 
what next? Oh, we could yeah, destroy they, they this whole house. They can't possibly judge me for, you know, murdering these kids. They murdered their right. own kids. Princes, mm-hmm. even. Yeah, anyway. So, uh, we'll keep moving. Alice Rivers is spared. Alice has some uh, je ne sais quoi, some, I don't know, man, some uh, some charisma, some spells, some potions. I don't know what, but she convinces him to let her live. So she's a member she's of She's a Strong. survivor. She's yeah. not going to give up. Yeah. Yep. Play that track. Uh, continuing on. So we, got, uh, so we got the other half of the army, right? So the first half of the army waltzes straight up along the God's Eye on the King's Road. And uh, and takes Heron Hall no resistance. The other side gets met by you know by these forces of Riverlanders, kind of skirmishing battles, and then kind of retreating, kind of hitting. You know, they're winning some, they're losing some, but they're bleeding them dry as they go. There's a battle at Acorn Hall. Three days later, there's another one where Adrian Tarbeck is slain as they're trying to make their way to Heron Hall. They're now at least three leaders deep. And the lack of quality may be showing in their leadership as Humphrey Lefford now commands them from a litter. And uh, and then Roddy the Ruin shows up. Oh, yeah. One of the more colorful characters in this series. Uh, Roderick at least Dustin. In the dance. Roderick Dustin, Roddy the Ruin from the north. So he's brought his, his winter wolves down. We've come to die for the Dragon Queen, he says. Mm-hmm took them all the better part of a year to get there uh to rally everyone and show up but uh you know maybe the greens didn't really think it would take them take them that long to win this war but the north has finally showed up and they converge so so we got this this western army trying to make its way toward heron hall they've kind of cut their way a little bit through the riverlanders who are now trailing them trying to catch up and they're making their way toward the god's eye right kind of south west of Heron Hall. So they're being trailed by these nor- these uh, Riverlanders. Roddy the, Ru- Roddy the Ruin comes down with Forest Frey and Red Rob Rivers, the Bowmen of Raventree uh, from the northeast. They've got 3,100 men, 2,200 knights or mounted men in, in the Ruin's case, 600 foot and 300 archers from Red Rob Rivers. So I mentioned the Riverlanders coming. Longleaf the Lion Slayer. He was the killer of Jason Lannister in one of the earlier conflicts. Lords Bigglestone, Chambers, Perrin. They're chasing them from Acorn Hall from the southwest. So they're kind of meeting two fronts. And then a third front comes out with Garibald Grey. Or, uh, sorry, no. Uh, third, a third group comes out from Benjicott Blackwood. Uh, Garibald Grey, Char- Lord Charlton. They arrived the next day from the northwest, kind of around from River Run area, right? So they've basically got three groups of an army converging mm-hmm. on these Westermen who have basically got their backs to the lake at this point. The backs to the God's Eye, yeah. To the God's Eye Lake. So they're sending out messages to Aaron Hall trying to get help. And uh, basically Riding the Ruin urges them to attack. Like, let's get this over with. And to his credit, they lead the charge, and uh, about 1,200 of them are dead or wounded in that battle. But this is the Battle of the Fish Feed, is what they call it. And 2,000 people died in this battle. Feels like it should be more to me, based on the fact right, that yeah. the, the, you know, the Riverlanders supposedly won this battle, and we know that 1,200 of the Northmen there were dead, so or injured or dead. But uh, 
Anyway, big tally. Lord Lefford, their leader, was dead. Lords Rain, Craycall, and Swift. Those are big Westerman names. Rain, Craycall, and Swift. Also the Bastard of Lannisport. Lords Forest, Frey, Bigglestorm, and Charlton from the Riverlands. Also slain. And then, of course, the aforementioned 1200 Northmen. So, yeah. a huge battle where they just push push them into the into the lake. Yeah, it should be noted that these winter wolves of Roddy the Ruin, when you 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 mentioned their quote, we've come to die for the Dragon Queen. This isn't just like a show of hardcore loyalty and allegiance. They literally came to die. Like the uh, the the winter wa- or the North was in the midst of a terrible terrible winter, and many of these people joined up with Roderick are ones who left willingly so as to not be extra mouths to feed for their families up north. And they've come to the south having no intention of going back to the north, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes, is... things, that makes things very scary. A, a, a direct... <laughs> it makes it very scary to face in battle. Yeah, they have no, they have no love for life, these guys. I mean, this is a, a direct comparison to, I think it's Big Bucket Wool, in uh, mm-hmm. Song of Ice and Fire, who says the same thing? Like we've come to die, the, you know. Yep. Let's let's go let's go win this one for the Ned, because we don't you know we don't want to go back to our families. It's winter. Yeah. They're hungry. Let's go die. Yep. Save the food that we would eat for them. Yep. And here we are. So you'll see this the, these winter wolves. They keep saying like two thirds of their force was knocked out here, but yet we're gonna see in later battles that yeah. they just keep sending them out, send them yeah. out, and, and Roddy the Ruin just keeps being like, "We'll lead, we'll lead. Yeah. We're up front. No, yeah. We got it. We call front. We call first. Yeah, and, yeah. Shotgun. And uh, yeah, they always get the job done, especially yeah. as we'll see with with Roddy later on. That's right. So so finally. Amond hears the news about the fish feed, which is just a, a crushing blow, uh, demoralizing the as many people drowned as were killed in that battle, uh, kind of retreating into the lake. Heron Hall wasn't that far away. 40 mi- 44 I... miles, according to the Galenic's map that Matt and I know and love. Um, right. 44 miles. Roughly. On well, Vagar's that's an estimate. Nothing. I don't know. We don't know exactly where they were, but that's, that's an yeah. estimate from where I imagine they were, kind of where that lake turns to head. Yeah to head east head up to heron hall yeah hop on vagar that's nothing man yeah it's nothing had he known but they sent ravens and the oh and, and rob the bowman red rob shot him down red rob yeah. shot him all down and his i'm yeah. sure he didn't do them all himself but um yeah. so yeah he didn't know but they eventually they find out right words word travels and uh they do find out and you know, there's start. There's no food. the The Riverlanders have basically burned everything uh, anywhere close. Mm-hmm. Uh, as people go out to forage, they don't come back. They're either deserting or being killed by Riverlanders. Um, so they're like, okay, they, they've basically got the problem, the same problem they had in King's Landing. Vagar and Amond, their biggest assets, are sitting there fighting nobody. They're not doing mm-hmm. anything, right? So they've got to. They feel Amond especially feels like he's got to go do something. So he doesn't want to run from traitors. He wants to attack King's Landing himself. One dragon against six. That was six dragons. Kristen is perhaps the wiser of the two, offers a course of heading south and joining up with the Hightower force. Then at least they'd have Tessarion. You know, a stalling tactic. Maybe we give it time and Sunfire and Aegon can emerge. They know that, that he escaped. 
maybe Helena could yep. be, you know, roused and, and participate somehow. You know, Kristen's basically trying to get more dragons on their side because he knows that one against six is not a good path. So, Amon refuses this path, calls it, you know, thinks he's ca it's cowardly. But instead of commanding Kristen to do what he wants and staying with him, they split up, which is... Fine, just go. Just go then. I'm going. Go then. Go then. I'm go. gone. <laughs> Fine, I'm going. I'm gone. Go then. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm quoting this. I know it, and I don't even know it. It's Wayne's World, man. Oh, yeah. Wayne That's and right. Garth. I love that we both just went to that quote. Just out of nowhere. Yeah. Good yeah. on us. It's true. Good on it's us, true. man. And then we got to put the real clip in so the people, the people can, the good people can hear what it really sounded like. I guess they all yeah. know. It's basically that. It's Wayne yeah. Garth. Yeah. In a spat. Yeah. yeah. I get to be Garth. So, uh, so anyway, so they, so they split up. Uh, Kristen Cole heads south with a force, but for some reason, what the hell, he goes on the western side of the God's Eye where he knows the Northmen were and the, and the, and the Riverlanders. So he goes down that side, I guess, maybe to pursue them. Um, and Amon stays to rain fire down on the Riverlands in hopes to draw a dragon or two away from King's Landing and weaken the foe. It's not altogether a terrible idea, but it, it is just kind of like butchery of innocence when what you want is a dragon fight. Um, you know, if yeah, you, is he trying to call out the dragons? Is that why he's doing it? He's hoping to draw them out, yeah. Right, that that yeah. they'll send some to fight him. I, I, think, I think he feels literally that he could probably beat them one on six. I, uh, he he does not lack confidence. I I think he's like I don't care if they send two, send two. Right. You know, I mean, I mean as an eight year old, he climbed on Vagar. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of his personality that you just yeah, he'll do it. Yeah, climbed on Vagar and uh, you know, lost an eye and hasn't looked back didn't since. blink for lack of a better <laughs> term. Um, so. So he stays. Uh, if he'd gone with Kristen, he could have definitely maybe changed the outcome for that group, which we'll get to. Um, you know, there is a small theory in there that uh, that he couldn't leave, that Alice Rivers had seduced him with the powers of love. Um, both Mushroom and Septon Eustace wrote that he was kind of ensorcelled by her. So uh, she is pregnant, according to her, can feel his fires licking at her womb, which is a, an interesting hidden Targaryen path somewhere in there that probably never gets addressed. That's like the most romantic thing I've ever heard in my life. His fire's licking at her womb? Yeah, isn't that just beautiful? Um, I... Yes. I just want to go write a song about that or something. <laughs> right away, Matt. He's struggling womb for material licking. these days? Lick your womb, baby. <laughs> You gotta have a long time. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, all right. Uh, let's move on. Rhaenyra governs. So back to Rhaenyra, King's so, Landing. Go ahead. Um, yeah. I, I forgot that to do a little quote to start off the section. Oh. But it's Sorry. actually perfect because the quote's about Rhaenyra. Yes, go for it. So I realized it like just a few minutes ago, but I was like, let's hold on to this until Rhaenyra governs here. 
neither Aegon nor his brother Aemond had ever been much loved by the people of the city, and many Kingslanders had welcomed the queen's return. But love and hate are two faces of the same coin. As fresh heads began appearing daily upon the spikes of the city gates, accompanied by ever more exacting taxes, the coin turned. The girl that they once cheered as the realm's delight had grown into a grasping and vindictive woman, men said, a queen as cruel as any king before her. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you just you just covered it. I don't know that we need to talk about it. That, that's that... And end of episode. Yeah, I mean, it perfectly covers what she's doing here. I mean, you know, she appoints new Kingsguard, new Grand, Ma- Grand, Grand Maester that, that's been traveling with her the whole time, Gerardus, new Gold Cloaks. None of this is unexpected, right? This is what new leaders do in companies or, you know, whatever. This is what new leaders do. It's not surprising. It's mm-hmm. all your people. Get your shit done. But mm-hmm. she does, you know, behead everyone and anyone that she can, <laughs> that, that has a, the slightest stench of green on them. You know, she's murdering them. Uh, save for Alicent, who she spares. Um, she does reward Hugh and Ulf for their uh, their behavior, although for some reason not Nettles. I don't know. Um, Nettles is a woman. Yeah, of course. A girl. She can't reward that. But she is a woman. You'd think she'd be like, come on, man. Power. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she... Look, it's not Rhaenyra's biggest flaw. She has many. We'll get to them. Um, so she knights them, grants them lands on the recently sacked and burned Driftmark. Um, yeah, give them Driftmark. <laughs> There's nothing left. <laughs> to no be fair, they were kind of ticked about it. That's what Valerian gets too, but at least he gets to rule it, or eventually mm-hmm. when Corlys is gone. Um, and also she she kind of uh, she pulls the people out of the black cells that had remained loyal, and she rewards those people too. Um. And she uh, she starts her new small council. She's got uh, Lord of Claw Isle Celtigar. Seems capable, good at what he does. I imagine she told him not to tap the brakes. We'll get to that in a minute. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, my Saria, you remember? You might remember her. She is um, Damon's former lover, probably oh, and now girl. current current again lover. Um, mm-hmm. She's kind of unofficially the master of whisperers. Um, she certainly plays a role later. She, she seems like she's good at what she does, but I'm not sure how trustworthy she is. Uh, Gerardus, her old Grand Maester that's been around with her everywhere, uh, he's promoted. Laurent Marbrand, interestingly a Westerman, right? Uh, he's right. The, he's the captain of the Kingsguard now. Um, mm-hmm. So he's a Westerman, but loyal. Um and then Damon, of course, is... Vows and vows, player. baby. Vows and vows. Which ones are you going to keep? Which ones are you going to break? Yeah. Yeah. So the biggest problem she's facing is money problems, and, and your quote dealt with it expertly. Um, you know, she's got no money. Remember when Otto split the money up in the treasury and sent three-fourths of it away? Right, yeah. Well, they apparently they spent the other Atlantis quarter. Lannis Old Town, and Bravos? Uh, Yes, I think so. Casterly yeah. Rock, not Lannisport. Casterly yes, Rock. Yes, Casterly Rock. Yeah, right. You know, it's all Lannister over there, wherever they're mm-hmm. keeping it. So apparently, they spent the other quarter because it it gone. There's nothing left really. Um, so that's not really a problem for old Celtigar though. He just basically taxes everything. 
everything. Everything. Everything you can think to tax, he taxes. He taxes businesses to stay open. He taxes good he taxes on goods that have already been taxed like people have already brought their shipment in and been taxed once he taxes them again he does a bed tax for every inn owner how how many beds you got all right i need a tax for every single one of those beds exit and entry fees into the city he even starts holding public executions and charging for those which is man (laughs) it's it's so awful that people would pay for public executions yeah ugh the opposite being in the dark night which i was reminded of earlier this week and something i was watching when the people are motivated to save their own lives by being able to kill others and they refuse right. uh-huh. one of the best parts of that movie um, it's beautiful and these people here are willing to pay to watch other people get murdered hey it's like people going to nfl games these days oh matt's making a commentary Ooh. about concussions Oof. whoops oh boy yeah, heavy. just never mind. Just wait when that glass gets turned on hockey, my friend. <laughs> it's it's already on. Is yeah. it? I feel like it's not, not as, as public, but n- definitely not as prominent. But uh, because NFL is the you know it's the bi- it's the big game, right? Well, and and um, there have been a couple of uh, NHL former NHL players who have died um, from suicide. I don't know why we're talking about this um, <laughs> and other reasons, and they. I know why we're doing it because I brought it up. <laughs> and anyways, they they examined their brains and stuff and found that these players were suffering from CTE, right? Yep. Repeated concussions that had gone undiagnosed. Yep. And so it's it's a thing. But, and, uh, of course, they don't have the constant hitting hitting helmet on helmet hits every play that some of these NFL players go through. So yeah, it's the repetition that's the problem, and and that makes me wonder mm-hmm. about soccer too. Um, the amount of times you take a ball that's hit really, really, really hard in the head is rare. Mm-hmm. But you take balls to the head. You know, these guys that are professionals. They can wing those balls. Dozen, dozens of times daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, in training and stuff. So, you know, how much do those add up? I don't know. I We're fragile beings, Matt. We're fragile yep. beings. Uh, we need We need an exoskeleton. All right. Let's get to work on that. <laughs> so, uh, so this comes, again, covered beautifully in your, uh, in your quote. Uh, Rhaenyra is no longer the realm's delight. George has well established in these books and others that people will put up a lot of hardship before they kind of break because of how bad the status quo has kind of always been for them. They're like, eh, you know, it's always terrible. This is it. Yep. But this is this is Magor levels of low, and it comes along with a Magor nickname, Magor's Teats. Magor's Teats, which is just great. I I vow to say that at least once at the con this week. Okay, you're on record, buddy. Yeah, see what happens. If you say that about my man boobs, <laughs> I can't. I couldn't. Mine are way more impressive than yours in a bad way. Um. <laughs> Firm. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's all. That's all I got for that part. As usual, there's some footnotes uh, in this section. Um, what do I have a note about? Dragonstone comes to King's Landing. I don't know what that means. Oh, she brought. Um, oh, she brought all of her sons over and stuff. When she yeah, that so was she safe. brings over yeah. everyone else. She thinks it's safe. It's crazy to think that this is. 
you know, how many episodes was it that we were covering King Viserys and his wonderful little full of life daughter that everyone just loved and doted upon? Yeah. Thanks for bringing isn't, that up. Isn't it interesting to track that? Yeah. And to see just how far this this poison has has taken her and the rest of the realm. It's... Yeah, she's not that old. What is she, 28 or something? I mean, she's got 27? teenage kids. Yeah. But she started young. She started pretty young, though. I think, yeah. Uh, I think maybe she's like 31. But, uh, yeah, she's... I'd say maybe her 30s, yeah. Early 30s. We'll we'll talk a little a little later as as the wheels kind of come off. Spoiler, um, but uh, she's got some major character issues that I you know I don't I don't think Viserys did her any favors raising her, and neither did Alicent. Um, of course, you know on that episode of Blood of the Pot, I, we talked a lot about characters and how they become who they are, and you know, parenting is so important. And you had, on the one side, a mother that did not care about her at all. And probably did nothing to kind of foster any sort of care and respect and trust at all. And on the other Mm -hmm. end, a father that Mm -hmm. was pretty self-involved. Doted on her, for sure. But doting is not teaching. And, yeah, she's got some issues. I, I I was a lot bigger fan of Rhaenyra before... I dove into this episode and started covering her deeper. <laughs> She's got a lot of issues, didn't She's got it? a lot. Yeah, and they, they it doesn't take much to get them to show up. We'll come back to it. Um, anything else on Rhaenyra? Yeah. Um, I was just looking at... Just looking up her age real quick. She was born in 97, and this is about 130 right now, right? Yeah, 130. So yeah, she's 20... No, oh, she's like 30, 33 ish, okay. 32, 33. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I guessed three times. It's easier to be right when you guess three times. <laughs> All right. But, yeah, I think you're really right about um, the parenting issue and how that, how that affects somebody. We've talked about that ad nauseum before, but yeah. um, I think I, I just remembered this, this Nas lyric. He's got a great song called Daughters. It's a it's a beautiful little heartwarming song for this former thug who's now raging raising a teenage daughter, uh-huh. and he talks about this instance when she she kind of you know teenage rebellion stuff. She posted a box of condoms on Instagram uh, and uh-huh. with the caption of like ready to roll or something like that, oh, right? God. And of course it's Nas's daughter, so people know who it is and everything. And he's kind of lamenting how he should have done more. Um, He says, uh, I just looked up the lyrics so I get him right. At this point, I realized they ain't the strictest parent. I'm too loose. I'm too cool with her. Should have drove on, should have drove more times to school with her. I thought I dropped enough jewels on her, took her from private school so she can get a balance. You know, he talks about all these things that he did, but really what she needed was probably time with him. At this point, I realize I ain't the strictest parent. I'm too loose, I'm too cool with her. Should have drove more time to school with her. I thought I dropped enough Jews on her. Took her for private school. Yeah, that's a balance, too, man. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no. Anyways, dropping Jews. Check out that same. I just said the word ain't, Matt. That's uh, not usually in my wheelhouse. I did too, buddy. (laughs) Two white guys quoting Nas. All right. Uh, 
Okay, a little, a few footnotes. Uh, one of the things Rhaenyra does do is um, she creates a little bit of a succession, succession issue. So Lords Rosby and Stokeworth have been beheaded. Um, they have younger sons and older daughters. Uh, and, you know, she basically, instead of giving... She ba instead of giving the property to the daughters and marrying them off to Ulf and Sir Hugh, uh, she she kept the old law, which goes against right. her own claim. Yes, she kept the old law of no, no, it passes to their sons. Fearing That's the only reason I found this interesting was yes. that very thing, the very platform that Rhaenyra is standing on, she is now undermining. Well, because kind she's of. different. So, well, she is different. She's different because so I I think if she had found a piece of paper. I'll, I'll come down on her side on this one. If she found a piece of paper from Lord Rosby saying, I want my daughter to inherit, I think she would have said, hey, the daughter should inherit. Thank God she didn't find one, because it would have created a huge controversy, right? right. <laughs> so, so she doesn't have that excuse, you know. But, yeah, she's definitely, uh, she's not a, a symbol for, you know, feminism, this Rhaenyra. As much as she thinks she is. Yeah. She's the worst. The worst. I, know, I just see her this whole this whole time. What we're going to see even more of as we get through this episode and, and probably into the next one too is how she – how effortlessly, effortlessly she alienates all the people around her that do matter or could potentially <laughs> matter. And yeah. it's – and she does it with such ease. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'd be great to get a POV on her. It'd be uh, Cersei-like, perhaps. Um, totally, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's very interesting for sure. Uh, meanwhile, in the Reach, just kind of a footnote, Darren and Hightower kind of keep winning. They're kind of following the Mander straight on up. Um, they're just chugging along, man. Yep, chugging along slowly. You Huge know. army. Yeah, big army chugging along up the Mander, kind of knocking things over as they come. Uh, they've also got, but but slowly, right? Um, you know, they're still at this point. They're still a good ways away, several several hundred miles, probably yep. five or six hundred miles away. Um, at this point, Boris also joins the fight, but instead of coming where they want him, he goes south to fight the Dornish. Mm, what? Uh, what? Listen. Maybe what? he's maybe he feels spurned by Avon marrying his daughter and leaving immediately. Well, well who knows? maybe I, you know what? If anything, maybe this just speaks to a lack of confidence in either side. Totally. You know, you get this with the high towers a little bit where uh, I remember when we were reading Duncan Egg where it, um, Eustace, it's not just the high towers, it's several. Eustace has that quote where he's like, if if only the High Towers, and he mentions a couple other families, had given us their full support instead of instead of keeping a foot in each camp. You know, maybe Boris is just kinda like I don't know which way this is gonna go. I'm just gonna delay. We've got dude, we got a problem down in Dorn. I heard like something yeah. like something's gonna happen. Bad it's like when, plumbing. I gotta take care like, of it. Like when the husband comes home from work and he, <laughs> The kids are just nuts at home, you know, and crazy, and the wife is all frazzled and at wit's end, and he's like, and she obviously needs his help, but he's like, 
Oh, you know what? I just noticed like, oh, light bulbs out. <laughs> oh man, we don't we don't have any spare light bulbs, honey. I better go to the store and get some light bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> is that is the toilet running? I think I, I need to go check the toilet. See if it's running. Oh boy, I'm going to need some parts. I got to run to <laughs> got to run to Lowe's, babe. We'll be right uh, back. Sadly, while I understand the trope you're going for, I'm so bad at fixing things that I've never done that. <laughs> My wife would what? see right through it. Just help. <laughs> yeah. She'd see right through it. And see, I'm good at fixing things. I'm not good at building things from like scratch. Maybe Don't that's it. Either. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's a commentary on my personality or something but uh <laughs> Ooh, you're going deep man i'm handy at like fixing appliances and stuff but if you asked me to like build a chair or something i i i can i can fix your sentence structure on an email <laughs> you need to send that's all i'm fixing I could probably use that. There's value in that, buddy. Oh, come There's on. value there. You definitely don't need my help on that front. All right. Should we move on? On that note, are we done? I want to know more about Sir Kristen, Matt. Tell me more. Don't forget your quote Let's this tell time, you about buddy. Sir Kristen. Our quote is from Roddy the Ruin. He said, that's why we come. Winter's here. It's time for us to go. No better way to die than sword in hand. <sighs> people are dying, some unfortunately without swords in their hands. So before we get into Kristen, oh, I hate talking about kids dying, but we got to talk about this one, right, Skeddy? Yeah. So Bitterbridge, little town, a few miles. Sakusus mop us for Bitterbridge, man. Yeah. It's, uh... go, just go down from King's Landing a little ways. Yeah, so you got, you got, uh, you got, uh, Oh, what's it called? The one that's coming up? Tumblestone? Yep. Then you got Bitterbridge. Go beyond that. And mm-hmm. then you got, even below that, is where the Hightower Army now is, which is, uh... Ooh, something. I had it in my head a minute ago. But, uh, Bitterbridge is kind of like the second-to-last... The second-to-last stronghold before you're in the wilderness, before you try to go to King's Landing. So kind of like two you... cities away in Bitterbridge. Before you... Yeah, before you get into kind of high tower territory, where this high tower army is is kind of moving up north and taking yes. things over. Right. So, in other words, very close. Uh, to tell the story quickly, Sir Rickard Thorne, who's a member of the Kingsguard, is in disguise, and he's carrying with him. He's in disguise as just kind of a normal uh, small folk dude. Right, and he's got a son, a young son with him, who spoiler alert is actually Maelor Targaryen, Aegon's son. So when, like we said, they they were able to ship a good portion of the royal family out of King's Landing before it fell to the Blacks, and Rickard Thorne, this member of the Kingsguard, was tasked with with caring, caring for Maelor Targaryen, who at this point is about three years old, right, two or three, and. It's discovered that Rickard Thorne is he kind of comes in disguise into Bitterbridge and blah 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 blah. One thing leads to another. They find Maylor's dragon egg hiding in uh, Rickard Thorne's satchel, knapsack, whatever it is he's carrying around, and his cover's blown. And he tries to fight his way out of Bitterbridge, maybe a little bit out of desperation, knowing that just 
just so close he can almost touch it is the Hightower army and safety for him. He tries to fight through and he in the end he doesn't make it. He falls, he's killed. Uh, little Maelor Targaryen is taken at that point. He's uh, People fight over him um, and he is eventually killed in that little process. His little body's you know, according to some accounts, is just torn apart by people um, in a terrible, terrible scene. But uh, the sad tale of Maelor Targaryen is that um, his little head is delivered to Rhaenyra Targaryen. Um, some accounts say she was happy to see it. Others say that she was devastated to see it, uh, saying the gods will curse us all because of the happenings. And it was a tale that was terrible PR for the blacks in King's Landing. That tale spread throughout King's Landing like a disease. Um, and Bitterbridge was later sacked. And you have to wonder if the, the savagery with which it was sacked was influenced in part by little Maelor's death. But that's the sad tale of Maelor Targaryen, right, Skad? It is indeed. Yeah, and... This is again, this is the other piece that I was referring to earlier that is just a a piece that George, he's just so good with these hooks. You know, you can, you can kind of tell a story in great detail and the best of us will forget, forget the details, you know, within a number of months, right? But mm-hmm. if you remind, if you put enough little hooks in there, you can, the, 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 that are vivid enough to really get into your brain and stay there. You can kind of dangle them together in a series so that somebody can loosely retell the whole story. Oh yeah, that's true. And, and this is one of those things you mm-hmm. can hook the murder of Maelor Targaryen to the fall of Rhaenyra Targaryen in this way, because it's such a visceral account of this murder of a child and you can hook it to the cruelty of Rhaenyra, right? Even though Rhaenyra didn't do it, right? Nope. She has sent people out to look for them, to do to murder them just the same. But she didn't have anything to do with this. But you can kind of remember this moment as kind of like a turning point, even though Rhaenyra didn't really have anything to do with it. Yes, indeed. Well said. Um, the gods will curse us for all, all for the, or the gods will curse us all for this. Yep. As Lady Caswell said. Oof chilling it's just terrible you think rickard should have handled that uh situation any differently uh <laughs> maybe tried to talk his way out of it i don't know it's a it's a weird thing i mean it's so we just talked about boris who's like well, i don't know what to do neither of these sides seem that good they're both murdering each other in their sleep and they don't have any honor and i don't know who's gonna win the common people are probably the same way e- even when they you know when they get the body they're like Okay, who do we give it to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's you know? So I, he might have just been able to be like, "Hey, just let me go." You know, here's some here's some coin. You know, let me go or something. Maybe it would have worked, but you know, you, it's it's hard to second guess somebody with those instincts. You know, totally this is danger. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't fault him for it. You can't, yeah. right? So we talked yeah. about we talked about Laris too, do uh, and and this message, um, 
you know, that, that infects King's Landing, kind of like a disease, um, mm-hmm. you know, that Rhaenyra gets blamed for blamed for something that she probably didn't do, which is sending this sending the head in a chamber chamber pot to Helena. And Laris gets accused of kind of starting that rumor. Mm-hmm. But like I mean remember, just like for history, her sons, one of them still alive, maybe Laris's what the hell would it be? Cousin something? Nephew? Right? Like Mm. they're blacks, right? So, like, it's weird to talk about Laris doing all this. You know, like, he, again, going back to the last episode, he was on the Green Council, and he was the one that proposed that they swear to it with blood. Yeah. Right? But he was also dead silent during the discussion on the Green Council when the whole war started. Didn't say a thing. Didn't contribute at Mm -hmm. all, which which is in his character usually is pretty quiet. So you can't read too much into it. Right, I mean, this guy is just kind of an enigma. But so, did he? You know, is he is he kind of like Varus in a sense that he's just kind of sowing chaos for some other purpose? Sure, feels like it, right? It does a little bit. I mean, you know, this, so this is happening now after the Greens, Aemond, has just murdered his entire family. Is he spreading this rumor to negatively impact the Blacks? I don't know. I don't, it doesn't seem like he would, but. Maybe he's got something else going on. Yeah, you see all these reasons why he would maybe be going against the Greens, including hiding out and stuff. And, of course, we know some of his actions later, but we'll leave him for next episode. Yeah. Even though he said we would talk spoilers. I won't. (laughs) But, yeah, I I very much see him as a Varys-type character. Yeah. Um, To what end? That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, because we know what his end is. We know what his end is. And, and, yeah, yep. I don't know that I've quite... Either there's not enough there that we can't arrive to a conclusion, or I just haven't put enough thought into it. Yeah. And the latter is a distinct possibility. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally a possibility for me. I, haven't I will put a ton fully of admit it. it. Yeah. But... yeah. Anyways, so while we're doing all of this... Um, We've already talked about Amon's kind of scorched earth policy yeah. where he's just out destroying and butchering and trying to, of course, draw out dragons. Uh, he sees it as an opportunity, you know, as an opportunity to even up the dragon count. The blacks have significantly higher dragon numbers than the greens do. Um, we talked about that ad nauseum in our last episode. But also, you know, as we also talked about, I think there's just some crazy inside Amond, and I, yeah. I honestly think he just wants to fight. Um, uh, uh, not even just fight. Slay. And butcher. And mm-hmm. wreak havoc on people and things. I, I, you know I, I get the sense that this is what Amond really wants. To just fly his dragon and burn shit. And... Now what you like? Isn't that what I like? No. Uh, no, not quite. I wish. It's a word that is used constantly, almost too much in this is in the in these chapters is slake. You notice yeah. how often they use that word? It's slake? a great word. It's a great word. Which means to like quench 
or like yeah. satisfy your thirst or something like that. Like, yeah, slake is almost it's, slake. It's, it's almost got a connotation less. of sin, right? The word slake. It, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, I like that. Combining it with something kind of negative or sinister or sinful yeah. rather than just like quenching your thirst by taking a drink of water. You're yeah. slaking your bloodlust by going and burning all these towns, right? Give me some Gatorade, yo. I need to slake that thirst. <laughs> right? I need... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you almost went for it. You're almost... <laughs> You're almost at my level of not embarrassing, of embarrassing yourself with impressions of. Oh, the, the dragon testicles thing was enough for me. This episode, so. You brought your A game with that one. That's fine. You can rest for the rest of the episode. You know, uh, so we've got Kristen Cole, if you remember. So Amon's out burning stuff, doing his thing. And you've got Kristen, who is, uh, who is heading down to join um to join the high tower army right things are not going well for mm-hmm. sir kristen no uh the definition of a war of attrition is going on with with old kristen you know his outriders and scouts are getting picked off um they can't find food anywhere everything's been burned um just all these terrible things. They're fighting these little skirmishes and losing guys here and there. People are deserting his army every day because they're just so demoralized and beaten and tired and hungry. And uh, it's just not going well. Right. Another fun thing that kind of goes on is, uh, as they're, as they're journeying, as they're making their journey, they're, they're passing these, dinner parties, right, Scad? Yeah. Which is out just in the wilderness where they're walking, they'll come across these scenes of people feasting. They're seated at tables. They've got glasses raised and everything. Um, It kind of takes them by surprise the first time they come across one of these scenes. But upon approaching, they recognize that these people feasting are actually corpses specifically corpses taken from the fish feed. So they are bloated and rotting and disgusting, but they're set up in these scene, these scenes of feasting and revelry, uh, that of course is just jarring to, to this already demoralized army. Right. Yeah. The only things getting a meal at that table are the worms. Yeah. Yum. Yeah, they're armored up and and set up as a, you know, it's mocking them, right? Mockery, uh, demoralizing, all of the above. And eventually it serves to kind of, um, what's the right word, condition Kristen's army to kind of expect that once they've seen it three or four times, they just kind of expect to keep seeing it. And it's still gross. But anyways... Eventually, they come across one of these scenes, and they think it's the same as the scenes they've seen before. But it's not, is it? Yeah. It's actually an army of the blacks who have set themselves up in one of these scenes to look like corpses, but are actually people who are really alive. (sighs) And things do not go well for Kristen Cole. Yeah, Yeah. more Northerners with a death wish is my guess. I mean, these have got to be people that are – maybe they're near corpses themselves with hunger and just ready to go. 
um, mm-hmm. because you got to assume they're going to die with this attack because they're attacking a full column of an army uh, with this, you know, with this ruse. But uh, yeah, a pretty great trap. Which they do. They catch them all. Um, they end up calling this battle the Butcher's Ball, where Kristen's um, army is chased down and they're just destroyed by this uh, more hardy, maybe, northerner, northerners and riverlanders. And we've got a veritable all-star team of people attacking Kristen's army. We've got Garibald Grey. We've got Pate of Longleaf, also called the Lion Slayer. We've got Roddy the Ruin. Um and they just destroy Kristen Cole's army. Yeah, I counted them up. I think there were 6,800 of these Riverlanders and Northerners uh, mm-hmm. coming up against about 3,600 of Kristen Cole's people who are, like you said, famished and tired and, and all these things. Plus, you know, uh, the Riverlanders have the high ground, um, as, as Obi-Wan would say. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a butchering. You know, I, I dislike Kristen quite a bit, and he's arrogant and annoying. Um, but he does try to save his men in this scene, which I appreciate. He does, yeah. He calls uh, for a, a band. He, you know, he he calls for a, what is it called? Parley. Not a truce, but a parley. Yes, thank you. Jeez, I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. What is that on? I don't even know. Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, cool. <laughs> I knew you were quoting something, man. But uh, he he does attempt to parlay with Garibald and Pate and Roddy the Ruin. Um, he mentions, "Look, if you keep fighting, your guys are going to go down too. Let my guys go. They're tired. They're not going to put up a fight." And they say, "No, no, we'd rather just kill y'all." Um, and Kristen says, "All right, well, why don't we do this then? I'll take." Instead of you destroying my men, I'll take on all three of you guys. Let's do this. Me against you three. Yeah, we want you to die, but we're not really interested in fighting you. And at that point, uh, Kristen is shot by three arrows. Boom, boom, boom. And is killed as he attempts to parlay. So Kristen Cole meets his demise, right? Very much. Um. And then they butcher the rest, yeah? And they, yeah, they still just kill everybody. Yeah. You know, this river, this stuff going on in the Riverlands, doesn't it just feel very, like, wild, wild west-ish to you? A little. Like, it's just, there's not a lot of, at least not that we're seeing a lot of coordination with higher command and stuff. It's just these yes. these guys who are very much on the side of the blacks, Garibald, Pate, Roddy. Um, we've got our bowman, archer of, of Raven Tree, uh, all just out just doing what it takes to win the war. And they don't seem to really answer to anybody, nor does anyone care to really have them hold them accountable for what they're doing. It's just like, we'll just get the job done. And... Agree, and it's interesting to me how that goes. And again, POVs would be interesting, but like, why? Like, why are they so invested? Like these Riverlanders that chose mm-hmm. the Blacks. Like, okay, they chose the Blacks. They believe in the claim or whatever. But like, 
why are they so invested? Like I like we said now, I've said now twice with Boros. I don't actually even know if you agree, but like, why why do they why are they so intent on winning this war? They, what are they fighting for? You know, like they're just mm-hmm. random Riverlanders. They might you know they might be exacting some revenge on the fact that their lands are getting burned to a crisp right now, and so they're like, okay, I'm taking I'm taking out the trash on these guys then, but. It feels very weird how invested they are to me. Isn't it fascinating that – and that's the tragedy and the thing that's interesting about all of this is that all of this is just a grab for power from one family. Yeah. It's just the Targaryens yeah. and how everyone else gets so wrapped up in it and finds themselves slaking their bloodlust or whatever – in these wars when really they don't have a ton of investment in it. And maybe, maybe a grab for power from a second family, high tower panel coming. Of course. Yes. You always have those, <laughs> those high towers. Sharing my thoughts. Always waiting in the wings, waiting to spring on whatever chance they can get. Right. Yep. <clears throat> but, but yeah, it's interesting that there's, there's really, it's just like the Targaryens are like, okay, well, we don't we don't like the way things are going, so they drag the whole kingdom into it, and it's pretty terrible. Yeah, very. And then they get caught up in it, and it's a whole broken man thing where they just get so so lost in the in the violence and the bloodshed, and you just got to keep going. Doesn't it suck that it feels like it's always the Riverlanders too? It, like it's it feels true. like it's always them. They've got like no natural boundaries yeah, except game. these rivers that you can cross on boats. So, you know, like yeah, you go back just... to Game of Thrones with Tywin Lannister and yeah. Gregor, and yeah. yeah, just they get burned, they get massacred. They're the fodder troops. Like poor guys, poor guys, poor guys. Um, let's see. So in this section, what else do we do? We want to talk about. Uh, what is with this whole Byron Swan in the mirror shield thing? That just seems so random to me. No fucking clue. So <clears throat> I don't really understand why we have it. Um, you know, the swans would have been greens probably. Um, so there's a big debate, right? About a big debate, <laughs> like a footnote in like a chapter somewhere in a song of ice and fire let's discuss the allegiance of the swan yeah exactly uh so like which dragon was he even attacking they don't know in this story Mm -hmm. right so some people think it's cyrax that he was attacking you know rhaenyra's dragon some people think that somehow swan got all the way to the riverlands and then was attacking vagar Mm -hmm. uh to prove his loyalty to rhaenyra None of, it, none of it makes any sense to me. I don't know why he would be doing either. Um, you yeah, know, like why? Yeah, uh, and and it is it is it is so strangely dropped in to this text. It is such a non sequitur in this text. It's it's almost it's almost as bad as an oh by the way, and oh by the way, there's this other story that happened, and it then tells the story in two paragraphs in this book Mm -hmm. and George is a better writer than that even for a history that is very much like then this then this then this then this that it's so awkward I almost feel like it's done on purpose 
it's that we're be. supposed to take something from it. But I have no idea what it is. I'll ask Aziz uh-huh. at the con, because I'm lost. If you guys know out there, Kalisar, give us a hint, because I got no idea. The, the, the swans do kind of have a history of kind of like playing both sides, and so maybe it's going there, but I, I don't. I still don't know why we care. Yeah, and maybe it's one of those things that's just like, just wait, just wait. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was so jarring just to have this story thrown in there. Yeah, I mean, so one thing that you do have, like you have a very, very prominent, you have a prominent-ish swan in Song of Ice and Fire, right? So maybe it's like a, look at this for a hint of how Balin is going to act. Balin is the Kingsguard member that's down now in Dorne, chasing Darkstar. Uh who is of the night and uh you know maybe he's so fear him so fear him maybe they're you know they're hinting at treachery or uh, i don't know don't know yeah maybe danny's gonna end up with her dragons down there and balen's gonna end up doing something similar i don't know i don't know what they're going that on the nose huh no it couldn't be i mean that's that's way too far but (laughs) You know, some sort of hinting. Yeah. All right. I don't know that I care to go into these other footnotes. All right. Let's run off to High Summer with Raina then. Or Rhaenyra, sorry. Do you have have a quote for this one? A little lead-in for this one. On Maiden's Day in the year 130, the Citadel of Old Town sent forth 300 white ravens to herald the coming of winter. But Mushroom and Septon used to disagree that this was High Summer. For Queen Rhaenyra Targaryen. Indeed. Everything is coming up roses for her a little bit. Uh, so long as you don't grasp the stem, I suppose. Hey. Uh, on the surface, it all looks good, right? Kristen is dead. Amond is kind of alone and not really bothering you. Although, you know, your subjects are burning like a crisp. Burning to a crisp. Um, yeah. The Triarchy, which had allied themselves with the Greens previously, is kind of down for the count. Uh, the Vale is even sending troops in. The Valerians own the seas. It's good days, man. Maybe this whole thing's gonna gonna come come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, Rhaenyra starts getting to thinking that it's time to end this thing. So she decides to take the battle to Amon and Darren. Now, before she does, she gets some advice. Um, Corlys Valerian suggests, "Hey, let's uh, let's send some letters. Let's get that old." Letter writing campaign going on. Send out for some salt, Peter. That's a 1776 reference, and it's terrible. Um, so, <laughs> and on the fly, I've seen I really, that movie in forever. I really shouldn't do references on the fly like that if they're not on my notes. No. They just don't work. Um, so he, he wants to get the Baratheons in the fold. Offer them, you know, forgiveness. The the High Towers, the Lannisters. Offer all these guys pardons. Bring them. Bring them to the table. Let's. Let's end this thing easily with 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 peace terms. And this is the second time Rainier has kind of been counseled to offer peace. The first time before she took King's Landing, um, the Celtigars and and of that ilk said, "Hey, let's as a supplicant, let's try to get peace." Right? We're at a disadvantage. Now it's the opposite. She's in control, and they're saying, "Okay, let's try to sue for peace here." They want to bind uh, Aegon the Younger to. Uh, one of the, I can't remember now whether it's Helena who would have been older or Jay Hera who would have been much younger uh, but they want to bind bind him to marriage on that to kind of unite the two families um, 
then send send Aegon and Aemond to the wall. You know, the whole, kind of the whole nine yards of kind of forgiveness terms that we're used to seeing in this world. Mm-hmm. But Rhaenyra's response is pretty pretty immediate. What are vows to oath breakers? Um, and and Daemon agrees, saying, "Of course, war will, war will end when the heads of the traitors are mounted on spikes." Mm-hmm. So he wants to take the war everywhere, punish everyone, give Cashley Rock and Storm's End to Ulf and Hugh. Let's reward those guys finally. So she she steers a bit of a middle course. So once they are dead, the rest will bend the knee is kind of her her track, right? I'll offer the terms that you want and try to heal the realm and all that, but I'm going to do it after my brothers are dead, my half-brothers, right? So she's she's on that path. Vengeance, mm-hmm. fire, and blood. Very Targaryen of her. As you do, yep. As as they do. I do nothing of the sort. Oh. So her plan, her plan's not bad. Uh, got a good head on her shoulders, Rhaenyra, for this kind of thing. Um, she wants to keep Rhaenyra, Joffrey, and Adam Valerion at King's Landing. So that would be... Cyrax, oh geez, Tyraxes, Tyraxes, and Sea Smoke, smoke. all, right from memory, didn't have them there, all at King's Landing. Plenty of defense in case Aemon comes around and and pulls a daemon on them. Uh, It would be interesting. I I always wonder kind of how strong Vagar would be against some of these less tested dragons. Mm -hmm. So to me, in my head, I was like, this would be like the rock fighting me and you and my nearly five-year-old Matt. Oh, you're giving me and you too. Well, I figure I figure I'm the lazy past his prime Cyrax. <laughs> I'm saying you're the reasonably capable sea smoke, but not experienced in fighting. And my five-year-old is Tyraxes, who's you know can probably barely lift his kid. Frankly, I mean he's not a seasoned dragon at all. Hey, I've been in a couple hockey fights. Good for you. I've never been in a fight in my life. Uh, Better that way. For me, for sure. Uh, <laughs> the rest the rest of the plan, Damon and Nettles will go to the Riverlands to find Amond and end him. This would be like The Rock fighting Jason Statham, Statham and Liam Hemsworth. Notice I did mm-hmm. not say Chris Hemsworth. Liam Hemsworth. Oh, come on. Well, You a Liam fan? I like him fine. But he's not yeah. Chris. You just want him to be a little more lean. Yeah, I get you. I'm. I just mean it's it's Statham and Chris Hemsworth. I think would would have a better chance against The Rock. Is what I'm saying. For sure. For I sure. still give Vagar the the advantage, even despite what you know will happen later, which we'll cover. Mm-hmm. They're gonna send Ulf and Hugh to Tumbleton to destroy Daron, and this would be like The Rock and Statham fighting Liam Hemsworth. Right. Gotcha. Yep. I so. Like that. So, unfortunately, we don't get to see any of this. More on that later. But this is basically a plan to rid the world of the Greens. And Allison doesn't like it. So she starts pleading from her knees for peace. But her terms suck, man. This is the second time now that, that Allison has asked, right, for terms. First time she asked for them to, uh, to hold a council to see who should rule, right? Of course. Now she wants to split the kingdom in two. Mm-hmm. Aegon keeps Stormlands, Westerlands, and the Reach. <laughs> just, so, I can't even say it with a straight face. So King's Landing, yeah. right? Uh-huh. The symbol of power. Uh-huh. And then the largest next to the north 
part of of the Seven Kingdoms, right? right? And the most wealthy parts, the Westerns and the Reach, yeah, the High Towers, and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Come on, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so of course, of course, Rainier is basically laughing in her face. No, I'm sorry. Uh, how how is Allison still alive? How has Rhaenyra not killed her? Uh, yeah. Mm. With how crazy Rhaenyra is, I was... That stuck out to me, This, this she hasn't just I, beheaded I think... her or thrown her out a window or something. Yet. She, she says in the text at one point she's doing it out of respect for her father who loved her once. Right. But that seems way too level-headed. Or is she just wanting... Allison to see everything around Maybe. her come crumbling that sounds down. more like Rhaenyra, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that goes nowhere. Um, so, uh, next we move on to Tumbleton. So, oh, boy. Yeah, here we go. So, Tumbleton, as we kind of discussed earlier, Sakansus Mapas, is kind of the last Leal Stronghold. It's right at the head of the Mander. Uh, it's kind of the last thing between the Hightower Force and King's Landing. And is now kind of a bit of a tipping point. The combined insurging Hightower force is coming to meet a force of rivermen, the same ones that just defeated Kristen Cole, who are now joining kind of the rest of the Reach forces and stuff that have kind of been retreating as they go up the Mander, right? Mm. They've got walls to defend them at Tumbleton, and now they're emboldened by the appearance of two dragons. Which brings us to the Battle of Tumbleton. Totes. So, called Field of Fire writ small, which I don't really agree with, but uh, it is referenced that way. The battle's actually kind of going well for the Blacks. Um, they're initially kind of pushed back behind the wall after their first foray out, but then Roddy the Ruin kind of comes around the side and flanks them. Does his thing. Does his thing. <laughs> He's got to have like ten guys left. But yeah, it can't be many. I mean, it, they got it's got to be under a few hundred. Um, so they cut their way through the Hightower army and actually cut down the leader, Ormond Hightower. Ormond's gone, yep. A huge blow. He's been leading this army all the way from, from Old Town, right? So it's a huge blow to them. Um, but right on the heels of that blow, as if, you know, it's like the exact opposite of Gandalf arriving at dawn, right? (laughs) (laughs) These dragons start loosing fire. This is uh, Vermithor and uh, and Silverwing start loosing fire on Tumbleton, on their <sighs> own on their own stronghold. It'd be like if Gandalf did show up <laughs> and then joined, and then in. just rode right <laughs> past the orcs and yeah. just went straight for what's his name for the yeah. king and stuff. <laughs> so completely unpredictable. It almost feels like a Deus Ex Machina from Gurm to me. To bring this dance closer again, because the blacks were kind of so had so much control, like this is kind of swings it back around. Whether it's cowardice or you know greed, or what you know we you know maybe they don't feel like they were rewarded by Rhaenyra properly. We've certainly seen that in the text. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they've basically That's what turned I'm towards. They don't feel rewarded. Yeah, yeah I. I feel that a little bit. We'll get into a little bit more how I feel about that in a little bit, but yeah, yeah the so they've turned sides. So they're awful men. Let's let's ask you though, Matt. Are they justified? It sounds like you think maybe you understand where they're coming from. 
No. Definitely not justified. Yeah. But I think that they were uh, they were a product of 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 kind of 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 the creation of them. Um, that didn't make any sense what I just said, but it did. The blacks were so invested in finding dragon riders, just anyone that could ride a dragon, that they never stopped to consider the other qualities of dragon riders other yes. than just being able to ride a dragon. Their scruples, their morals, their you know, the way they thought, their loyalty, all of that stuff just kind of pushed aside because they can ride a dragon and we need dragon riders right now. And no wonder Ulf and Hugh felt a little entitled and wanted perhaps wanted more than what they were given. These guys were nothing. And all of a sudden they were raised to this celebrity status because they could ride a dragon. They were treated as these huge Westerosi warriors and almost godlike levels of respect because they could ride a dragon. And the fact that they could ride a dragon meant that they were nigh on invincible in some ways. So in some ways I, I don't agree with what they did, but I can kind of see how – Everything has fallen into place for Ulf and Hugh and the way that they were kind of treated could lead to them feeling a little bit entitled and stuff. Totally. Well said. I, it, it, it bothers me a little bit that, you know, these, you know, I guess we get nettles to kind of uh, be the counterweight, but. You and know, Adam Valerian too. Yeah, but he, but he is, you know, of of the higher class ilk, right? Supposedly, that's true. And so it feels very classist to me that, like, oh yeah, of course these dudes are terrible, you know. But but at the same time, I do like the poetic justice of you're not even thinking about what these people are like. As long mm-hmm. as they can ride a dragon, like you said, as long as they can ride a dragon, they're in. Like that's that is a very short sighted way it's to get dangerous. allies. Yeah. Yep. And then you're, you're sending them off together. You're handing a Death Star to a toddler, right? And and yeah, it's, it's not just not a good idea. So yeah. so in addition to those guys turning, there's also two people that shouldn't go uh, unscorned: Roger Corn and Owain Borney are two lords that have basically turned cloak as well from inside Tumbleton and opened the gates and like start attacking people <clears throat> in the back and stuff. So they turn as well. The town is burned to a, to embers. The chaos and death everywhere. Those that are yielding are getting murdered. To go back to the theme of like, there's no mercy in this war. Just death and murder and destruction. You know, with with no pause, right? And Tumbleton as a town never really recovered. It was kind of a thriving trade town, and it's you know ash now, and. Um, got pretty wrecked it also the the results of this war had you know it wasn't just tumbleton on on that day because of ormond hightower dying they really lacked leadership right and you know well you think they've got darren right well he's pretty young and he's used to following the very headstrong aegon and amond around and not making decisions and then beyond that, it's Sir Hobart Hightower, who's, I think he's in his 60s and never really done much of importance. Unwin Peak, who wants to take control. John Roxton and Borney the Traitor. All of them kind of fighting for scraps and trying to seize control, but none of them have enough respect of enough men to really be in control. 
And the result is, there's a quote, without a strong lord to restrain them, even good men can turn to beasts. Which I hate to think that. But um, the result is that Tumbleton just gets continually, continuously plundered and raped and murdered. It's not like a one-day thing. Yeah, it's just happening repeatedly. Because mm-hmm. there's no one to kind of put their foot down. And Ulf, Ulf and Hugh are the worst. Yep. They're drinking, beating people, raping people. They start having their own ambitions, right? The, you know, they were spurned maybe and getting rewarded properly. Now they're like, hey, you know, we can go take stuff. Uh, Ulf wants to be the Lord of Highgarden. Hugh wants to be the king. Like, a king. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. who's going to stop Why not? me in my hammer? Why not? I am Robert Baratheon, pre-born. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a part of me is like, you know, they, neither of these guys have any sort of desire to move on to King's Landing and make anything happen just yet. Right? There's dragons defending King's Landing, and that's a risk. Part of me is just like, they're just kind of two common dudes enjoying it. They won the lottery. Like, don't judge me. I'm, you know, I'm having fun over here. I've never... My whole life, I've been working a blacksmith, or I've been, you know, yeah. scraping. Look at me, look at me, I'm enjoying it now. Don't don't judge me. Mm-hmm. You know? Part of me you thinks know, it's kinda, that simple. It kind of hit me just now. Have you watched the new Netflix uh, documentary on Motley Crue? Yes. The Dirt. You watched it? Yeah, uh-huh. I did. I watched it too the other day, and it kind of reminds me of that. Just like, yeah, these know-nothing junkies hitting it big and having no boundaries and barriers in front of them yeah exactly you want to do coke every night great and you know can you blame them yeah they were they were awful i mean you can blame them but they they should have even known but there was no one there willing to to stop them they under you know their manager kind of understood that that same wild party lifestyle was kind of what fueled them to be who they were on stage and stuff. Uh, of yeah. course, it came. The consequences were disastrous. I don't know how Nikki Six is still alive. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, he's a he's an impressive guy. He he writes stuff for other artists. He's a he's a musically very gifted, tremendously um, talented. Yeah, but yeah, just kind of a wreck from you know whatever. We don't need to cover that movie, but uh, I, I liked that movie. In fact, when it started, the first you know 20 or 30 minutes i was like i think i like this better than bohemian rhapsody and then it's kind of the rated x version of bohemian rhapsody <laughs> it it, fe- it feels like the version of bohemian rhapsody like when bohemian rhapsody they're like they're talking about freddie at the clubs and like they just totally skirt over it yeah because yeah. they didn't want to bring that part of the story in and you're like come on just... there's more to this than that they show some people in costume yeah. and stuff here like, and there on, little man. shots and everything I mean, nope He's fucking people in that club. This right? is Nikki like, Six doing yeah. Tommy Lee's girlfriend backstage. Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. Anyway, that, that documentary documentary is generous of Motley Crue <laughs> called The Dirt is uh, an interesting look, uh, not for the faint of heart. Um, uh, quite graphic. Very graphic. Uh huh. This is not. This is <laughs> this is not films get fingered. But if you like Motley Crue, worth a watch. Yeah. Uh, Ramsey Bolton. Did great. Yes, Ramsey Bolton. That's that's right. I forgot. Uh, I forgot that uh, that he was in there. Yeah. Mickey Mark. 
Anyways. Ramsey's like a thing in the show, right? He's like a... I don't know, in the... Nah, we don't need to talk about the show. I think of Ramsey as like Joffrey. He's like a little twerp that like he just needs to get his... But I feel like right. they built him up in the show to be like this... I don't watch... You know, I don't know, but... The things I hear, feels like he's this A-level villain or something. Well, I won't tell you. Yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> All right. We haven't had a dinner in a couple seasons that are alleged to discuss this in a couple seasons. So it's but. it's all gonna get. I have no idea what's happened in the last two episodes. I haven't been spoiled on like anything really. Um, but uh, I assume that's all gonna end in three days. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Everyone who's listening right now is screaming at you. But um, for what? Oh, the Ramsey stuff. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Okay. You will stop there, though. I will stop there. Because I don't really want to talk about the show either. Yeah, sorry. It's not like no, me no. to give in to that. Right. Uh, okay, moving on. The search for one eye. So that shit's all going down at Tumbleton. Meanwhile, part B of the strategy, uh, you know, part A is not going well for Rhaenyra. Part B is, you know, let's go get Amond and take him down. Amond is straight up burning fools still. He's just partying in the Riverlands, burning everything he can. Dive bombing everywhere he can go, except Maidenpool, where Damon and Nettles are, you know, have their home base with Caraxes and Sheepstealer. So they go up every day into the sky, in expanding circles, trying to, like, spot him somewhere. Legolas, what do your elf eyes see, kind of a thing. But mm-hmm. they never they never find him. Um, uh, Damon refused to split up. He knew that really neither of the dragons on their own were a, were, were a match for Vagar, And so... He wants to keep them together, but Smart. was but was there another reason, Matt? Hmm. So according to Mushroom, Damon's got a girl. They be banging. Yeah. It seems at least bathing. At least bathe. At least bathing. We know they took baths <laughs> together, which uh, doesn't sound good. That's so gross. <laughs> you know, Damon is known so he can scrub her back, Scad. With what? Exactly. <laughs> so, da- Damon is renowned for his promiscuous ways. Uh, as renowned, perhaps, as he is for his medal in battle. Maybe even more so. You know, he had to slake his lust somewhere. Oh, yes. Get our slake on. <laughs> so he's slaking that lust on a girl who would have been 17. And him in his 40s, but, you know, that isn't that uncommon in Promiscuros. Um, you know, for Nettle's part, I mean, what, you know, from her end, what's not to lose? Well, you know, he's a prince. Why not? This is culturally, I don't know, it's grossing me out even talking about it, but, like, not that bad for her, you know? Well, yeah. So I'll, I'll just give that theory a maybe, but a small, small part of me wants to look at it a little differently. The non-scrubbing her back in the bathtub part wonders if it's like his daughter. He spent time yeah. on Dragonstone. He banged lots of people. Mm-hmm. That would be sweet. He's teaching her manners and how to be courtly and stuff. The bath thing is yeah. creepy. You know, but... you know, at some point, the daddy can't take a bath with the kids anymore. It would be inappropriate for me to take a bath with Pam as much as I might want to. <laughs> It's the office. It's the office, Steve Carell. <laughs> yep. Guy's awful. 
<laughs> as remember, much as I might want to. I, I remember one time Brooke said to me that it pained her that a whole generation of men took lessons on how to behave from Ross Geller. That was one of our early episodes, and I, that stuck with me for a long time. Uh-huh. And it pains me to think that people get cues from the office about how to live and how to he, hopefully i mean he, everyone knows it's you hope a joke, that they can but, see through it yes <laughs> but there's but, a chance but he's so revered though you know mm-hmm. and that show is anyway moving mm-hmm. on we've had a lot a lot of deviations tonight i think we both needed it so okay so so anyway uh that's going on they're going up every day they're not finding him they have a relationship whatever Eventually, what we get to is um, Rhaenyra hears of what happened at Tumblestone. And she'd be freaking out. Mm-hmm. And they, she sends, as part of this, we'll get to the other way she freaks out, but for just to stay here with Amond and, right. and those guys. That's why I organized this section like I did. I... Yeah, it's. I mean, there's no. Yeah, there's no good. There's no great way to do it timing wise. So, as part of learning about Tumblestone, she's got some trust issues. One of those trust issues is with Nettles seducing her husband, Damon. Who, it's been established, she doesn't really care if Damon cheats on her, um, but she doesn't like it with Nettles, and she's worried about treachery. And Lady Misery Masaria convinces her that this is happening. This of relationship course. is happening. Of course, it's her and Lady yeah, Misery. Why listen, probably. Why listen to someone like Corliss Valerian? Yeah, you know the established mind of reason, yes. voice of reason, and listen to Lady Misery. Of course, honestly, Rhaenyra's autobiography could have just been titled "I Should Have Listened to Corliss." <laughs> I love it. I right? love it. Like he's offering her sage advice at every turn, and she ignores it. I think every time. Um, if there is one person who I love coming out of this story of the Dance of the Dragons, it's Corliss Valerian. Yeah, he's he is pretty badass. Super cool. Yeah. Um. So, so basically, after being convinced that he's cheating on her and that Nettles is, you know, is doing the beast with two backs with her husband, she sends a letter with a foul choice to Lord Mouton. Basically. Kill Nettles and send Damon back to me. I need him now. And this maester is, to put it lightly, the best of us. This maester that gets the note calls his his lord in, and he's like, "Look, man, this is what they want we you got to a do. Problem. Like, this is a big deal." <laughs> to it's pretty great actually. This group that Lord Booton's got because they're very loyal to him. The the, totally. the captain of the guards is like, "Look." We'll take six men and we can take him down. Like, we can for sure, you know... We can make this happen. We can make this happen if you want. We can restrain him and it'll be okay and we'll kill the girl. and Or we can kill Damon too if that's the way you want to go and say he struggled or something. None of this is good for Lord Mouton. You know, if he kills them, he's violating guest right. You know, if he doesn't, he's a traitor. It's a That's, that's why this is a foul choice. He doesn't have a good option. So this mm-hmm. maester who is hashtag the best of us, <laughs> he says, you know what? I never showed it to you. I'll just take this directly. Never even happened. He backs out of the room. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll take this with me. And he just shows it directly to Damon. And Damon has an interesting reaction. Damon's the kind of guy that 
could have just burned the whole place down. That's what you expect. Something yeah. raging. And instead he, you know, he tells Nettles to go away, basically. They have a, a little goodbye scene and he just gives in. It's psychologically yeah, the, a very interesting choice from him. The quote is I the the Maester says, Maester Nori, I think is his name. I saw the joy go from his eyes and a sadness descended upon him like a weight too heavy to be borne. So weird. It's so undamon. Yeah. What's the sadness? Is it, is it that his relationship, whatever nature it is with Nettles is coming to a close? Is mm-hmm. it that Rhaenyra doesn't trust him? Something that even though he cheats on her, I think he's always felt that that relationship with her was pure in a way. Counted um, upon that trust, yeah. Right, exactly. A, a better, mm-hmm. more solid footing relationship than he's ever had with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's it, you're right. It's a very interesting quote. I'm glad you. I'm glad you read it. Um. So yeah, I mean, what do, what did you think of Nettle's departure and this whole thing? It was heartbreaking, and a further example of Rhaenyra alienating everyone around her. Yeah, I mean, not only Damon, but Lord Mooton as well. Yep, you yeah, gotta they... take care of your people, Rhaenyra, because what does Lord Mooton do in the end? Flips his banners, man. He declares for as soon as Damon's gone, take down one banner, put up the new one. Yeah, sorry, he's... we're with the Greens now. He's so sick, he turned green from his <laughs> choice. And man, look at you tonight. You gotta <laughs> take care of your people, though, Rhaenyra. You do, and, and she does not ever. So. Damon, to uh, to to move along, basically says, "Okay, put the word out. I'm going to be at Harrenhal. Have this guy come find me." This joy that's left his eyes has also led to some sort of acceptance that this is mm-hmm. this is his fate, and he's going to go make something happen. Right, mm-hmm. a choice he was not ready to make before of one on one. He's now ready to do. So he goes, and he waits thirteen days, and Amon eventually shows up. He's uh, got Alice Rivers with him, but frankly, they waste little time discussing the matter and get straight to battle. He drops Alice off. They both climb on their on their dragons. Damon foregoing the traditional chains that hook the rider to the saddle, and launching up quickly to hide in the ba- in a bank of clouds, as Vagar, much slower, and larger, uh, rises to meet them. And uh, I think I'll just let George handle it from here Please. with a little reading. Sniffle. <clears throat> the attack came sudden as a thunderbolt. Caraxes dove down upon Vagar with a piercing shriek that was heard a dozen miles away, cloaked by the glare of the setting sun on Prince Aemon's blind side. The bloodworms slammed into the older dragon with terrible force. Their roars echoed across the god's eyes. The two grappled and tore at one another, dark against a blood-red sky. So bright did their flames burn, the fisherfolk below feared the clouds themselves had caught fire. Locked together, the dragons tumbled toward the lake. The bloodworm's jaws closed about Vagar's neck, her black teeth sinking deep into the flesh of the larger dragon. Even as Vagar's claws raked her belly open, and Vagar's own teeth ripped away a wing, Caraxes bit deeper, worrying at the wound as the lake rushed up below them with terrible speed. And it was then, the tales tell us, that Prince Daemon Targaryen, swung a leg over his saddle, and leapt from one dragon to the other. In his hand was Dark Sister, the sword of Queen Visenya. 
As Aemon One-Eye looked up in terror, fumbling with the chains that bound him to his saddle, Daemon ripped off his nephew's helm and drove the sword down into his blind eye so hard the point came out the back of the young prince's throat. Hooey! Half a heartbeat later, the dragon struck the lake, sending up a gout of water that was said to have been as tall as King Spire Tower. So, thank you, George, for that. So how about that fate, Matt, being skull-fucked by a Valyrian steel sword? You know, if I'm going to go some way. <laughs> and you are. We all will. <laughs> so both the dragons die in this thing. Amond is found later still chained to the saddle. Dark Sister shoved through his face. Oh my gosh. Uh, Damon is never found. Hmm. That's all there is to say about that. Hmm. No, we don't get, I looked, we don't get any information about what he was wearing, if he was wearing armor. Uh, there is an illustration there uh, that shows him wearing what looks like a breastplate and greaves and stuff. So, he's, you know, I think he's wearing armor. We've seen, you know, in the Victorian chapter, the fear that people have of wearing armor uh, and sinking, not being able to swim. Right. You know, but if but if he had sunk, you know, wouldn't he have been found? I think they'd find him. So they do mention that from that day forward, the that particular body of water, the God's Eye, had strange currents and stuff like that. There are queer currents in that lake and hungry mm-hmm. fish as well. So intimating that, you know, the current could have carried it somewhere else and that's why they never found or, you know, the fish ate them or, you know, whatever. Right. It's all on the table. It's all on the table. We don't get, I don't think we get anything else that I remember. Um, I'm not trying to keep away from spoilers. I don't remember reading anything. Uh, we know that, this will be a spoiler, that Nettles and uh, Sheep Sealer end up in the in the Mountains of the Moon. Mm-hmm. In the veil, yeah. In the veil, kind of hanging out. He's one of the last dragons around, I think. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't think we get anything indicating that, you know, there was an old war general hanging out with her or anything. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. You got anything on that? Nope. Okay. Tons of fun. Tons of fun to sit and think about. Uh, they describe Nettles as, later on, in what you're referring to with the veil... Uh, that she may they described her as a fire witch and that some maesters believe that some of those mountain clans like the burned men originated from mm-hmm. people who worshipped nettles so yeah interesting an interesting origin huh mm-hmm. anyway remember those guys you remember old uh, Timmet, son of Timmet? No, let's Aww. read Game of Thrones. It's fun to go back and talk about those guys. Now I'm getting really tempted. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, a few footnotes. Um, so we had, uh, in the last footnotes, we had kind of Sunfire disappearing. Uh, we have here The Death of Grey Ghost. Uh, a queer tale of a battle off of Dragonstone was reported by a merchant vessel. And when Fisherfolk went looking, they found Gregos' carcass. Mm-hmm. Another one bites the dust. Pour a little out for Mahomey. Um, so, you know, the the story is that there was a pale dragon and a golden one. 
the cannibal is the one who's been put up as the killer of Grey Ghost, but he's coal black. And the seed is strong and shit. So uh, definitely not, definitely not him. If it was, if he was slain by a golden dragon. So Sunfire is back. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem right to me. Does it seem right to you that Sunfire could have killed Grey Ghost, a fully grown dragon, in the state that he's in? Yeah, and he's still recovering from yeah. wounds. Feels wrong. I didn't like it. Uh-huh. I didn't like it. Just have Sunfire show up. Have him kill a, another dragon. Anyway. Anyways, um, more on that next episode. More right? on that next time. Emergence also also happening on Dragonstone. The emergence of Bela and Moondancer. So at the beginning of the dance, it's hinted that, that Bela has a dragon Moondancer that is not ready to carry her yet. But she is now. She's dragon riding all over the place. She's very dragon riding. She loves doing it. Um, and she likes know, riding all sorts of things. Apparently, apparently, she's also getting into the guys. Yeah. Um, but she and Moondancer can soon add themselves to the list of list of the, to the dragon tally for the blacks. Maybe right should be huge. That's cool. And the only other story, just a, a quick one, is uh, it's proposed by Mushroom that both Alicent and Helena were sent to the brothels. Um, yeah. by by uh, Rhaenyra after Alicent proposes the splitting of the kingdom. Uh, Alicent, again, uh, insults her children, calls them bastards, and so they say, let's go make sure they get bastards put in their bellies. Oops. And I, what do you think about that, Matt? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh. I'll just say I don't believe it. This is right. a lot of these records for Mushroom versus Eustace, and what do you believe? A lot of them are kind of backroomy kind of deals, right? And this this would be very near public fuckitude, right? I mean, people would be paying money for this. There'd be a lot of stories about it. I, that's what I was thinking. Is there'd be a lot more. Yeah. Of, to it, yeah, it'd be so much more public. You would know that the. The two queens are in this brothel. That wouldn't just be something that mushrooms like. Well, maybe this happened. Yeah, and people other people would refute. Like yeah. there would be something more than just these two accounts that conflict with each other. Agreed. So, in case you didn't puzzle that one out yourself, Calisar, I'm sure you did. But Matt and I are agreeing that the brothel queen story is bogus. Right. But of course, any time in these books when they discount something so vehemently, yeah. that makes. Yeah. The conspiracy theorist in me wonder. Yeah, your ears, which, your ears prick up. Yeah, which they do very much in this. It's like they, they, the author makes a point to say, this is so ridiculous, it just can't be true. Yeah. And that always makes me go, yeah, but maybe. <laughs> Precisely. So, yeah. All right, that's all I got on that section. I did you a bit of a disservice, Gad, and I appreciate it because I gave you a big monster section to work through. I enjoyed it, man. Uh, it was a blast. Good. You did a great job on we're, it. We're working on one of our longer episodes here, but uh, I'm excited. Yeah, this is – that was a good one. I wanted to kind of – my idea was to do that whole section of stuff that was going on outside of King's Landing, and they would, we would end with stuff that is going on inside of King's Landing. And look where <clears> we are. So here we are at this final section of uh, entitled Rhaenyra Overthrown. The quote is from Eustace, who said, Her grace had been betrayed so often by so many 
that she was quick to believe the worst of any man. Treachery no longer had the power to surprise her. She'd come to expect it, even from those she loved the most. Right? And this really, this treachery and this, you know, I joked about it earlier, how she just alienated people with ease, but it really was her downfall, her, her inability to truly trust anybody. Absolutely. <clears throat> which is both tragic and frustrating. Um, but let's, let's, let's do a quick dragon count here, Scad. Sure. On the blacks. Uh, we still hold, we've lost some dragons, but we've still, we're still doing all right. They've got, um, well, let's see. We don't have Caraxes anymore, right? He gone. Tyraxes or oh, Caraxes. Yes, he's gone. Caraxes, yes. Damon's dragon. Yes. He gone. We still have Cyrax, who is uh, Rhaenyra's dragon. Of course, yep. they mentioned that he's, he's gone old Robin Williams, Peter Pan. Um, a little old and fat. Yes. She has. Excuse me. Cyrax, I believe. Is. Yes. Well, we don't know. Tyraxes, who's, as you mentioned earlier, is still quite young, as is his dragon rider. Yep. We've got Sea Smoke. We accomplished. Do have yes. You know, he's been around the block a few times. Adam Valerion seems like a capable dragon rider. We got Moon Dancer. Um, but of course, Bela. Targaryen is forbidden from going out on him for now, her yes. for now. We've got uh, sheep stealers missing along with nettles. They've flown away and we don't know where they are. So really, what does that leave us? That leaves us with Cyrax, Taraxes, Sea Smoke. And Moondancer, kind of. Moondancer, kind I of. Assume, I assume yeah. house arrest would end if she were needed. If, you know, things get crazy, yeah, they'll get her. Yep. Over on the greens, we've got two new entries on the side yeah. of the greens. We've got Silverwing and Vermithor of Ulth and uh, Hughes dragons. We also now apparently have Sunfire. Yeah. Ish. Apparently. Ish. Yeah. yeah. And you I know, mean, he's not, he's not really in control of them yet, or controlled by them, but he's out there. He's out there. Yeah. Yes. We've got, and then we've got uh, an interesting little footnote is Dreamfire, Queen Helena's dragon, yep. who is is just kind of sitting around uh, in King's Landing in the dragon pit. Um, Helena's not riding Moondancer, or excuse me, Dreamfire anytime soon. And so Dreamfire seems like kind of this is wasted asset an okay term to use totally okay there's uh, also morgul and shrikos there which are also two you young know, sticks dragons. of dynamite waiting to go off yeah, yeah the dragons that belong to little princess jehera and jeheris mm -hmm. uh, we can also assume are young young dragons out there also is cannibal who's not been claimed yet yep and i think you missed a Sarion in there uh darren's dragon which is darren's dragon how could I miss him? Yep. I haven't even written him down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and Oops. and Great. and perhaps of note, you know, I mean, Vagar is notably missing now and dead. Caraxes uh, mm -hmm. also perhaps, maybe not the second biggest, but maybe the second most terrifying. Um, I agree with that. Both of them down. 
And I think it's noted somewhere in the text that Vermithor is the next biggest. So a pretty big coup for the Greens getting Vermithor. Vermithor was the dragon the old king rode. So he's, you know, he's getting on now to probably 130 years old or so. He's big. Big dragon. He's been around. Right. So we, we're starting to see things with the dragon count kind of even out a little bit. Um, the, the blacks still hold the numbers, but the greens, as they did when they had Vagar, uh, perhaps holding the, the quality over quantity. Yeah, win. perhaps. It's certainly gotten closer anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tessarion is getting more battle-hardened with each battle that he fights, and so mm-hmm. I, I think it's good to not discount him and, and Darren. Yes. Um, so with with that, you know, we talked about the high summer of Rhaenyra Targaryen where things were coming up roses. Things, those roses wilted pretty dang quick. Thorns um, are still there, though. The thorns are very much still there. We've got some growing discontent, to say the least, at King's Landing. Word is getting back to King's Landing of what's going down at Tumbleton. And people are afraid. You know, obviously they're afraid of dragon attacks. These dragons are just coming in and burning everything. Are they going to come to King's Landing? What's going to happen? Another big... uh, PR unexpected PR disaster was this crazy dude that shows up who's known only as the shepherd and he's this this haggard emaciated kind of just uh waspish man who's just full of fire and personality though he's missing a hand right which leads people to believe that the the hand was removed as a punishment for thievery or stealing at some point. Um, But his anti-dragon, anti-Targaryen rhetoric that he spews with fire that belies his kind of small – there's a picture of him in Fire and Blood and he's kind of freaky to look at. Like I'm going to turn the page really fast so I don't have to sit and look at him. Um but he has he, he makes an impact. Uh <clears throat> yeah. This guy, not to be confused with Shepard from Firefly, he's uh like the exact opposite. Full of hate, mm-hmm. wispy little frail thing. Yeah. He but he yeah, his his sermons pack a punch, man. Yeah, his main doctrine is only by cleansing King's Landing of Dragons and their masters could Westeros hope to avoid the fate of Valyria. And uh, and people are starting to listen, you know, with what's going on at Tumbleton and and with all these places being sacked and burned. And it's a, it's a scary time, and the small folk are starting to, you know what, maybe this, this isn't something we want to be in the middle of. So there's that growing discontent at King's Landing, which was really starting to have an effect and really is adding to to the pressure that Rainier is feeling as she rules there. Yeah, you wonder where this guy gets this hatred from. Right? Not that I don't want to speculate for any minutes on it, but you wonder. You know what I speculated on? Hmm. You know, that anti-dragon thing sounds very citadelish to me. Hmm. And I wonder if he was a little plant. 
by the Citadel to sow discord or something. I don't know. You're, you're speaking my high tower language, my friend. I know. I know. I just dangled that little treat right in front of you. <laughs> <clears throat> I love it when people dangle things in front of me. It's exciting. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, so as we talked earlier, the um, the betrayal of Hugh and Ulf, of course, just sent um, Rhaenyra's distrust meter through the roof, right? And she figured and was influenced by others in her court and in her council that if Ulf and Hugh would betray her, everyone else is going to as well, particularly nettles and adam valerion so we already know what she did with nettles she was super jealous of nettles anyways because of the whole thing with daemon but she also centers her wrath and mistrust upon sweet little adam valerion who never did a wrong thing in his whole life um that's generous but he certainly seems (laughs) innocent of this so far (laughs) poor guy is living permanently the dragon pit yeah, can't sow his oats like Ulf and Hugh are doing. He takes and, one uh, for the team. Yeah, there's kind of a standing rule that there needs to be a dragon rider always at the dragon pit, just in case of emergencies. And when you've got the only dragon riders are Helena, Joffrey, and Queen Rhaenyra to go along with Adam Valerion. Well, sorry, Adam, but yep, you're on permanent duty here for now. But the. Uh, the argument they use uh, against Adam is, of course, one that is on extremely solid footing. That argument being betrayal comes as easily to a bastard as loyalty to true-born men, right? Seltigar yeah. of, of the Claw Isle Mensa Club thinks <laughs> bastards can't be trusted. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just nice to know that even 150 years later in the timeline of A Song of Ice and Fire, they still haven't figured out that people are just people. This thing is still going down, yep. And, and that in our own real timeline, we still haven't figured it out either. Of course, right? Because why Why would people be individuals? Yeah. Anyways, things... And, and this mistrust just spirals out of control. So um, Rhaenyra is, of course, influenced by this, and she uh, she orders Adam Valerion to be arrested and to be questioned sharply, which, of course, we know means to be tortured, to try to figure out if he was going to betray – to d- attempt to determine if he was going to betray her and, if so, who he was in league with and everything. Corliss Valerion. <laughs> You just you can't be this ruled by fear, right? You cannot be. It is so destructive. Like I'm ruled by it a lot, and I try to. I'm actually pretty aware of it, the, how ruled by fear I am, and like I'm pretty good at calling myself out when I'm being ruled by it to the point where at biz, it happens at work all the time, and I'm like, I don't want to do this, and I admit I don't want to do it because I'm afraid. Right, and, and I have people like us back from doing. Yeah, and I, 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 ha- I tell people, I tell people, so that they can like talk me down, and like we can, <laughs> they can come from a place of not being afraid, and like or like deal with the fact that like yeah, that is something that we should be afraid enough of that we should rethink some things, That's because it's yeah. it's terif- it's 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 more terrifying to be ruled by fear 
than to just let your fears run rampant. I, it's you can't you get nothing done. It's so true. So Corliss Valerion, you know, why listen to old Corliss? I mean, he's only sailed around the world and done nothing but offer good advice and everything forever. Uh, he openly defends Adam Valerion and Nettles for that matter. He's like, no, you, you can't do that. Like, these are idiots. She doesn't, Rainier doesn't listen, orders Adam's arrest. Corliss gets word to Adam before the gold cloaks get to him and Adam is able to escape on sea smoke. This does not make, uh, Rhaenyra happy as you can imagine, nor Luther Largent who bursts in on Corliss and roughs the old guy up. And, uh, Corliss is eventually thrown in a cell. Um, side note, Maester Girardis, who's been by Rhaenyra's side through all of this, also stood up in support of Adam and Nettles. Um, Rainier is a little bit nicer to him. She dismisses him from her council and sends him back to Dragonstone. <laughs> it's almost like a bad after-school special, right? Like how, like how far Just she's taking piece this after piece, like falling, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because what happens, Scad, when you throw the head of House Valerion in prison? Uh, well, I imagine the rest of House Valerian probably doesn't take too kindly nor feel very loyal anymore. Whoops. And when half your army is made up of Valerian men. Yep. Especially sorry. the fleets controlling trade and yep. all that stuff. Just dominoes falling. Not good. Fast. Rapidly. Um, and uh, kind of what really starts to seal the deal in terms of public um public acceptance of rainier already at a very low 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 uh, as low as it's ever been right yeah. it couldn't get lower yeah the presidential uh, approval rating on this one is yeah it's record lows right won't say anything about that as much as i might want to um, i wasn't baiting you or anything I know. Well, I know that you feel the same way, so we're okay. <laughs> Queen Helena, who, you know, she she hasn't been a public figure now for a while. She's been, after the death of her son in particular, she's been shut away and has essentially, you know, she's alive, but she ain't living, right? Yeah. Um, she is found dead. Uh, apparently of suicide. Um, and it seems that the people of King's Landing, you know, even though they haven't seen her for a while, they just loved her, right? She was sweet. She was kind. They probably felt bad for her to a degree. Uh, so her death hit the people pretty hard, especially when rumors come out that it was not a suicide, but was an actual murder, right? Yeah. Of course... We're going to speculate there. Hilaris <clears throat> uh, again. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Planting those seeds as Laris does. Um, again, the uh, whole thing of like, I don't really know what his motivation would have been. But the, it's supposed yeah. in the text. I don't know. Other than to sow discord, to but yeah. why? Uh, to what end? I mean, we know Varys was sowing discord 
to eventually it. Yeah. bring in uh, this Targaryen, right? Mm-hmm. Laris, I, I can't quite figure that out. Yeah. Anyways. Yep. Um, and where we end the the story of this episode, we may discuss a few more things, but where we end the story of this episode is with Helena's death and essentially King's Landing being on the verge of riot. You add in the shepherd, you add in all of these, uh, the fear of the dragons and, and what might come to King's Landing eventually. You add in, you know, Helena dying and all of this is adding up to where King's Landing is done with Rhaenyra. And uh, it's on the edge of a knife, man. Yeah. The edge of a knife. Yeah, and the, this rumor seems to kind of put them there at that that edge of a knife. And, you know, this rumor seizes on something that's always bothered me a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not an expert on depression by any means, but people seem to, to want to look for a specific reason that someone takes their own life. Mm-hmm. I don't... Again, I'm not an expert, but I don't think that's really how it... Like, there's not always... Certainly there are sometimes. But I don't think there's always, like, a reason. Like, it's a, it's a complex series of events and timing and life beating you down. And, you know... Things I, happening at certain times that wouldn't affect I mean, you yes. at one point, but do at a certain other point. She's right? had a tragic year, year and a half. She had an unhappy marriage even before that. She's not in a good place mentally. And the type of, you know, even in this country, when we talk about all the gun violence and stuff, like, these things beat you down slowly. Mm-hmm. To the point where, like, it's not a specific event that, that makes you take your life. It's the culmination of life experiences putting you there. And I think I think the living tend to want to assign an event the blame i don't know why to make themselves feel better or you know to like assuage themselves of assuage themselves against feeling any blame or something Mm -hmm. or guilt um you know it's it's a culmination of living that gets you there i think i hope i'm not wrong about that i really shouldn't talk about stuff i don't know that you're unqualified to yeah (laughs) no but you're absolutely right and it's Oh, the circumstance thing is 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 what makes it so, like you said, just you can't pin it down to one thing. I, this is to a much smaller degree, but I was in, for whatever reason, I was in kind of a rotten mood this morning. I didn't get a lot of sleep the night before. It was a little bit more difficult to get the kids ready for school. They're just coming off a of spring break, and so I was a little bit more on edge with that. And someone at work was teasing me about something that normally wouldn't get under my skin. That's why they could tease me about it. But because of everything that happened, I took it very wrong. And I didn't lash out at the person or anything. But inside, I was like, just shut up, you idiot. Like, I was just like, I was really upset about it, where normally I wouldn't be. And it was because of all these different little tiny things that added up today that made me perceive it differently than I would have yesterday and take it differently. Totally. And I think that has to be brought into the equation, right? Of of uh, yeah it's a, it's a Context. long yeah. it's a long process of things that happen over time months weeks years potentially but it's also the context of of day to day sometimes that can be that thing that might 
that might flip you over the edge, unfortunately. Right? Yeah. That's not even a big thing. Got to be careful the way we treat each other and take yeah. care of each other. But yeah. You never know, right? Indeed. Anyways, well, there we went. There we went. Sorry about that. On an episode marked by divergences, <laughs> that was definitely the heaviest. We had a lot today. I don't know. I don't know whether, <laughs> whether we'll apologize or say you're welcome, but... Uh... We needed it. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about with Rhaenyra, with things falling apart in King's Landing? Um, I think we've beaten it pretty well to death. I mean, I, I guess the, the, the quick capstone is she's undone herself with yep. her lack of trust and um, to some degree also with her inability to put her own foot forward and, and drive the action herself and lean on others to do it. I feel like she could have been more proactive. Um, mm-hmm. But, and and not caring, like you said, not caring about her people. You're, you know, to point at Stannis, like, if you're, if you're the king, you got to put the realm first. You can't tax these people into dust. Yep. You know, she's, she's killing herself here. Yep. I mean, I guess an updated Dragon Tally real quick. We just gave it, but, you know, Sea Smoke is now, um, you know, who knows? Instead of on the blacks, he's out there somewhere doing something. <laughs> yeah, and that is a significant blow. Yeah, for sure. You've got Cyrax and Taraxes, basically. Moondancer. Mm-hmm. It's it. Yep. An old fat dragon. And two very young dragons. Yeah, and because she's so afraid, uh, she won't even let Joffrey ride Tyraxes. I mean, he's got no experience, right? Which mm-hmm. he's young, I get it, but... Yeah. Yeah. Things are not looking good. No. But I don't cheer for either side. They both suck. <laughs> they really do. I started I started this whole thing being like firmly in the black side and being like, of she course. was right. She had the right. And then I'm like, uh-huh. God, she's abysmal. She's just terrible. Yeah. I hate her. Yeah. Alicent is so uppity and awful. And Aegon is so just presumptuously elite, elitist. And I hate him too. And Amon is a friggin' monster. Amon's a psycho. So they got like yep. the triumvirate of awfulness. And then on the blacks, it's just like Rhaenyra and her just like disregard for anyone else. Mm-hmm. And lack of commitment on her own part to succeed. And I don't know. She's just bad. Damon sucks. And they just. Yeah. That... Both sides suck. Yeah. I like Corliss, but that's it. Yeah. It's a Corliss rule of the day. But yeah, I, I think that's I think that's all I got. That's what we got. This all just sucks, man. <laughs> the episode was great, Matt. I the had a good time. The episode was awesome. We love talking about how much these people suck. Yeah. So, yeah, indeed. I agree. Should we sign off, my friend? Let's sign off. Let's go to bed. It's a Monday night. We got work. We got Ice and Fire Con to no, get I ready got for. I prep to do after this, so I'm not going oh. to bed yet. And I got episode editing to do, so. Yeah. You yeah. and I both, buddy. Yep. Uh, let's sign off then. So my sign off quote is, uh, is directed at Rhaenyra, man, from, the, from a Matt Nathanson song where he's trying to 
to motivate and be a positive influence. Imagine that, Rainier. And he makes the the phrase, it's not an original phrase, but he says, we're more than what scares us. And uh, I, I always have that running through my mind when I'm reticent about doing something that we sometimes are allowed to define our, we define ourselves by what we're afraid of, what we won't do. And I think we miss out on a lot of potential um, to do great things when we do that. So we're more than what scares us. It's Matt saying that. Good night. Quoting Matt Nathanson. Matt and me saying that. Yes. Matt Stopping Square. The end. Uh, mine is, is less a quote and more more a quick story. Uh, I've been watching uh, the Kevin Pollack chat show recently. And by watching, I really mean listening. In which he mm. basically just interviews actors and directors and producers and stuff. Fascinating show if you're like me and a nerd for other actors. But uh, Kevin Smith was was on, and he referenced <gasps> for the uh, he's on twice actually. He was on for the umpteenth time. Uh, sorry, for the umpteenth time he referenced uh, Degrassi High. <laughs> he loves that thing, which I've never even looked up, even though he's referenced it in a million a million times in a million different ways. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna look into that. And so I went looking, and I found it. And it actually starts, I won't go into the whole story, but it starts with these kids and dealing with them when they're like six and seven years old and telling stories about them and uh, follows some of them kind of vaguely uh, up through junior high and then into high school. And I'm not all the way through it. But there was one moment uh, in one of the recent episodes I was watching where someone dies that the kids are kind of close to. And uh, the, the kid, one of the kids owed, owed him something. And he it was expressing disappointment at uh, at having, you know, he was expressing that he was afraid this person was disappointed and angry at him for not delivering this thing. Mm-hmm. And the advice he got back was, you know, disappointment and anger, those are those are for the living. This person has no feelings like that for you. Let it go. And so just because I know some people out there dealing with... Uh, with losing loved ones, um, you know, let the baggage go. They don't have, they don't harbor those things anymore. They're gone. So that's my message. <laughs> On that one. Good night. Yep. Good night. Beautiful everybody. message though. Yep. Good night. We're more than what scares us. We're final and fearless. We'll dance when the ice gets Davos fingers. Oh, that was kind of a weird inhale right there. Sorry. That's okay. Cut that out. Actually, because of you, I just got a. I just got my sign-off quote for the night. So Mm. I'm not telling you what it is. I don't have one. (laughs) I'm gonna use a. We'll take this out. I'm gonna use an old Matt Nathanson song lyric. I might have used it on the cast before. Uh, Just a simple one. He says, "We're more than what scares us." Yeah, I think that's a good one for Rainier. It is indeed. <clears throat> but be thinking, I know I've been. Yeah. <laughs> We've done how many of these sign-off <laughs> quotes, and I still forget to come up with one before. I used to come up with one every time and write it down ahead of time. Right. And I decided yeah. that I like better when something comes to me in the middle. But it does put... I, it's, Except it's when some, something doesn't come to you in the middle. <laughs> it's some living dangerously shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. All right, back to uh, what we were talking about. 